three, two. If you listening to this podcast, you know what that means. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the worst podcast of all time. It's the Quality Nonsense Podcast, and I go by Dave the Stepdad, not the dad who stepped up. And I'm also the self-proclaimed voice of podcasting. And I got here, which Twitter would not allow me to write so much, but I can say what I want. We have... A writer, how you doing? A blogger, how you doing? A reporter, how you doing? Journalist, how you doing? Black activist, how you doing? And, and there's other things I don't even know about. We're going to get into that. Michael Mizzle, tell already, baby! Uh, what's up, brother? Glad to be here. Honored to be here. Let's do this. I am excited to have you here. But I got to tell you from the rip, now that you're here, you got no choice. You can't go nowhere. I just jumped you, figuratively speaking. You got bamboozled. I'm going to tell you why. Not everybody getting bamboozled. You, 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 you just joined the NWO when you didn't even know it. You remember them? I did. Yeah, so Black what happened? Wait, what you say? Black and white. Yeah. So what happened was... Um, this is the biggest interview yet. I had an interview with, uh, Sensei. She was the, um, ambassador. She is the ambassador for the Sacramento Kings. And I got her to be down with the podcast. And excuse me, my guy beats, uh, Michael Anderson, also known as Beast Mike. He does everything from wrestling to uh, sports radio to uh, 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 the analysis from, from time to time, and he's down with the podcast. And now I got the biggest one yet, Michael Tillery. You just got jumped because now you became from an interview, and now I'm gonna try to finesse you to get over and be part of the podcast as well, man. <laughs> this was all, this was all a setup. <laughs> Anything I can do to help her brother, I am down. I appreciate that, man. Man, it's. It's so much to unpack with you. There's so much to unravel. And I guess, and I'm not trying to be, um, I'm not trying to be cliche, but there's it's, it's a lot to talk about. And I got time. Do you got time? I got time. All right. So I guess the perfect way to start is from the beginning. And when I mean the beginning, I'm talking about what comes first out of your professional career. Was it writing? Was it sports? What came first? And then we will, we will work our way up to how we got here today. Because it's not just music. It's not just sports. See? You're, 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 part of, you're part of Snowfall. You was part of Snowfall as well, but I'm going to leave that there because I want them to wait. I want them to wait. I want that to marinate. I want them to, oh, shit, Snowfall? I want them to wait. I want this to be long as hell so they can just get to that part. <laughs> They're not going to just skip the Snowfall. Nah. <laughs> Pause. <laughs> So where did it all start, man? Well, you know, so I remember I'm, I'm gonna go way back. So I'm, I'm 11 years old, and mm-hmm. you know, my cousin at this time I'm living in Chester, PA, mm-hmm. and my cousin walked over and says, "Yo, you wanna play baseball?" And I was like, "What? I had never played baseball before." So we walked like a mile to the to baseball field and signed. Sound about right? <laughs> yeah, right. And um. <laughs> The Aspen PA. And 
it took me a while to really grasp the sport. Like, I was hitting in practice. I was making all these crazy plays in practice. But when we got to the game, striking out, missing plays, all kinds of stuff. Something clicked one day. My coach was off. Another coach came in, made the game a little bit easier. I ended up getting, like, in a fight in the game or something crazy like that. But it fired me up. And 11 to 12 was when I shot out in terms of of being a a baseball player. You know, with with the best player in the league as a 12-year-old and, you know, pitching the All-Star games, all kinds of stuff, hit a bunch of home runs, um, played. Then we moved to Delaware. A coach wanted me so bad that he would drive to Delaware for me to play in the PA League, you know. It, it was kind of uh, uh, an unseen thing at the time. So, you know, playing baseball in Delaware, this and that, all, you know, um, ended up working at the post office. I met a coach there who, through our conversations about baseball, said, look, there's a, a tryout, you know, where you used to live, 7 o'clock, you know, in the morning on a Saturday. That Friday, I stupidly had a party at my house. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I woke up with, with four Johns around me. Oh, okay. And yo, I don't even remember what happened. They was white, wasn't they? Huh? They was white, wasn't they? Yeah, uh, yeah. there, was there was a couple and a couple, you know, a couple sisters. Yeah, all right, you know? all right. So, <laughs> my coach was banging on my door. That's what woke me up. This day had to be a ninety-six degree day. Hmm. I didn't even brush my teeth, dude. I just ran out the door in my uniform. Brushed my teeth on the way there. The Mariners and the Mets were conducting a tryout. I played like center field, shortstop, second base. For some stupid reason, I tried out at third base. I caught every ball, but the throw was different for me, and I was nervous. I obviously was hungover. I threw every ball like maybe 10, 15 feet over the first baseman's head. Oh, like one of like one of them celebrities, uh celebrity pitchers. Man, it was it was bad. Now the 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 guys hitting me the balls was a, a Seattle Mariners coach. Mm-hmm. He was like, Look, you're catching every ball. I did hit two home runs, but I faltered. I couldn't run because I was hungover. It was 96 degrees. The heat was blazing. Yeah. And I, I just I just fell. It, it was just an epic fail. I ended up coaching baseball after that. I was coaching a 16 and 18-year-old team when I was 19. Um, you know, ended up coaching some younger kids who I still keep in touch with. A couple pros ended up being pros. You know, it was a fun thing for me to do. I thought that, you know, really my athletic career was going to stop there, mm-hmm. being a coach at that point. W- what happened was I went through a divorce in 2001. It rocked me. It rocked me to my core. Of course. My relationship with my kids would not be the same. Mm-hmm. My wife at the time knew that my weakness was my children. Mm-hmm. So they used it against me. I wrote this poem called Divorce Cry. Mm-hmm. My sister read it and said, 
you're a writer. I then scoured the web to try to find sites that would pick me up an unexperienced writer. And Black Sports Network and BlackAthlete.net picked me up. My first article for Black Athlete was called Tigers, Tiger Woods, A Universal Roar. It was about Tiger and, and the makeup of his ethnicity and how each of his ethnicities should be writing about him in a, in a substantial way. I like that. The article went viral at the time. This was 2005. You know, so it was a lot of comments on the article. They gave me a lot more responsibilities. I went over to Black Sports Network. They they allowed me to have some editorial duties. At the time, Bomani Jones was there. Um, Dave Zyron, this, this writer named D.K. Wilson. Uh, another writer called Ron Glover. Um, a lot of very talented writers. I kind of shot to the top because they allowed me to be myself. I started doing a lot of interviews, a lot of coaches' interviews. Um, every coach at the time is like Tommy Amaker was at Michigan. Um, John Chaney, I was John Chaney at Temples. I was his last interview before he retired. Nice. Okay. That interview there, and my cousin was sitting across from me. I was living in Elkton, Maryland at the time. My cousin was sitting across. It was the biggest thing that I had done at the time. And his name was Chucky Johnson. Rest in peace. He recently passed. But I could see in his eyes how proud he was of me to land such an interview with a, a basketball icon, a sports icon like John Chaney. John Chaney talk, told me about Sonny Hill and also talked to me about Will Chamberlain. That's when my hunger for Will Chamberlain happened right there in that interview. I did, like I said, I did so many coaches' interviews. I did, I interviewed like Candace Parker. Um, was at uh, Tennessee. She was a sophomore at Tennessee. Um, Tubby Smith, you know, any of the black coaches at the time, Mike Anderson, um, uh, who uh, it's a, it was just a bunch of black coaches, black uh, uh, college basketball coaches. I also interviewed the, um, the main dude at Ohio State, his name was Gene Smith. He was athletic director there. That was a very important interview for me because at the time, Ohio State had the biggest budget in college sports. From there, I began to interview a bunch of journalists to try to learn the field. I, like I said, I did not come up in journalism. I basically, like I said, coming off a divorce and wrote a poem to my sister Light. That was my experience. So after I started to write more, I, I, I had my own site called michaeltillery.com where I interviewed Chuck D, a public enemy. I, I would spam him every single day. And finally, he, <laughs> he, wanted to, he asked me to be on his Air America radio show. I thought he was bullshitting. You know? And hey, um, you, you was persistent. Yeah, but I, I just, he called me and I just, I was like, I'm talking to Chuck D right now, you know? So the the prominence in Chuck D, you understand, like in the early 90s, in the early 80s, up in the 87, I think when Nation of Millions um, came out for Public Enemy, that was our beacon as black men. 
That's what made us shoot out and poke our chest out and not be afraid to speak in a black way. So Public Enemy was rolling. They were rolling. You know, they actually gifted Ice Cube with America's Most Wanted to try to stem the gangster rap tie. And this was a time where it was more about black empowerment than having fun. Right. Everybody listens to music for different things. I was trying to build my consciousness. I hope, like I said, hooking up with Chuck D was a very uh, great thing for me because it made me fearless. If I said it, if I if I thought it, I said it and I meant it. There was not looking around to see who was going to validate my words as a black man or try to say, no, nah, you can't say that. You can't say that. I said it all based on Chuck D being a mentor for me. Um, I interviewed Chuck D a few more times after that on my site called The Starting Five, which unfortunately is in flux right now, so it's not online. I did about 700 interviews on that page. Wait, 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 wait. Let me cut you off because that's where I, that's what, that's how I found out about you because you interviewed Kevin Durant. I, that's how I found out. What, what, you gave him his first or what are his first interviews? Yes, yes. Um, so Kevin Durant was just sitting, sitting on a bench, um, in the locker room and no one was going up talking to him. I'm like, what? He had his headphones on. I walked right up to him. And he gave me this interview, which I called As Good As It Gets. Mm-hmm. He talked about um, how Maurice Cheeks, who was a Sixers legend, um, was his main motivator on the team. You know, him and Russell Westbrook both mm-hmm. prominently about Maurice Cheeks. At the time, their coach was Scotty Brooks, who also was a former Sixer. Uh-huh. And, you know, so the connection was there. That interview there, you know, I had interviewed LeBron, you know, uh, Kobe, AI, a few other people before that, you know, football mm-hmm. players, Donovan McNabb and such. Yeah. But that interview there told me that what I was doing was right, because as I was interviewing him, all of the microphones started to get closer to his face. Yeah. Okay. So Kevin Durant was very, very, you know, uh, honest about this interview. He told me this one story about how him and Russell Westbrook basically rode around Oklahoma City in minivan. You know, instead of being, you know, having the Porsches, the Lambos. Yeah. You know, that there's a bunch of straightaways in Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City at the time <laughs> the most billionaires per capita in the nation. Mm. So for these young bulls to be basically parading around in minivans was it was weird to me. Unheard of. You know what I'm saying? But it, it was it was more about the owner basically tell them, you know, don't shine so much. You'll have time for that. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know how I feel about that. Like I, I think that they should be able to bend their individual self. You know, back then, obviously, you see how they've grown in their careers um, to not be someone who just is a church mouse. Right. They aren't those type of dudes. You know, so that was different for me. And that made me really research a lot of things. You know, this was coming off of Seattle losing the team to Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and you know, we we, we all we all know what happened after that with Oklahoma right. versus Golden State. Kevin Durant, you know, goes to to Golden State and, and wins championships. The interview with Kevin Durant was 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 really something for me because at the time I think they were like uh, they were last in the league, like they they weren't. And they weren't the team that played LeBron in, in the Heat in in the finals. You know, they were up and coming. They were talented. You know, Kevin Durant was basically coming off of um, an outstanding performance at University of Texas. You know, a bunch of twenty twenty games. Um, you know, a bunch of double double games that he had there, at University of Texas, and with his length, you know, his shooting and touch, his inside outside game, his mid range game. You know, what has made him a first ballot Hall of Famer now and one of the most feared scorers in NBA history. Right. You know, it was it was a great time for me because I was able to be placed in the locker room. I was writing for Slam as well at the time. You know, so I had access to almost any athlete, you know, based on Slam's reputation. Right. I would write these long recaps after the game. They would be sometimes 4,000 words because I would interview anybody, everybody that was on the bench. I would run back and forth to each locker room. I would do this thing where I would put 57 minutes on my recorder and I would make sure that all those 57 minutes were filled up. The worst thing about doing that is you have to transcribe all of that. And the technology at the time wasn't what it is today with recorders. So the trouble, the trouble in the, uh, the the voice recorder was horrible on your ears. And sometimes you would miss words. You know, but I tried to do it as as great as I could, and it, it was a great time for me because I saw some great games. Like uh, one of the biggest games that I covered was Allen Iverson returning uh, from the Denver Nuggets to the Sixers. You know. And when he kissed the floor, you know, it, it was an electric atmosphere. It was so loud in there. It was probably the loudest game I've ever been to. I remember that. Yeah, it was super packed. That was emotional. Yeah, it was very emotional. And AI gave me a great <laughs> after that. You know, one of the uh, one of the writers who was there, one of the photographers there, took a bunch of pictures of me standing next to Alan Iverson at the podium interviewing him. Both, both pre and post game. I use those pictures a lot today. Um, yeah, but- I, re- I remember. Um, I don't know exactly when, but if, if I um, not to cut you off because I'm I'm trying I'm, I'm letting you know how I've been following you. So like I said, like I said, the Kevin Durant one, and I also seen uh, you interview Iverson. Now I wasn't sure if it was the Denver AI or was the AI when he retired. I know you gave one of his le- one of his few last interviews. Well, you know, so I'm, I'm looking at that picture of the avatar we have on Twitter is is me. And I, I, I didn't I didn't realize that, but okay, um, I I did I interviewed him both as the Denver Nuggets when you know him and Mello were there, mm-hmm. and also when he came back. I actually told the Sixers when he was going to come back. You know, he had played for Memphis, he had played for Detroit, and I said, Yo, Al Ivers, he's going to come back on this this day, isn't he? And the uh, Ed Stefanski, the GM at the time, looked at me kind of funny, you know. Basically, like, how did you know that? You know, <laughs> Al Iverson came back at the time of Drew Holiday and all of them was on the team. Andre Iguodala, yeah. 
Yeah. It, it was a great, great time for me because Alan Iverson was very introspective about mm-hmm. his career. You know, he was humble. He was really trying to help out Drew Holiday in particular and, and the, the best of the, the younger Sixers. And, you know, I just happened to be instructed with that. And at the, like I said, this is at the time when, when Kobe and, and LeBron were also coming up. You know, so both Kobe and LeBron would, would grant me access in a locker room that few others would receive. Right. LeBron would shut down the locker room for me and my boy, uh, Anthony Gilbert. We would basically go from New York to Jersey to, to, to Philly to D.C. and do these long interviews with, with Dwight Howard, um, Wayne Wade, Carmelo Anthony, LeBron. Um, anybody who was the best player in the game at the time. And they saw us as beneficial to them because we weren't about the snark. The snark was very disrespectful of athletes in the, the last decade. It was more oh. about, you know, you know, disrespecting them instead of putting them on a pedestal, if you will, to show how great they were to themselves, their community, and also the league. What about T Mac and Shaq? Um, Ironically, that rhymes. So T Mac and Shaq, right? So <laughs> two stories about each of them. Um, T Mac was with Orlando. I walked up to him and asked him about the Adidas on his feet, and he basically cussed me out. Tough. He said, "Don't ever ask me questions about these Adidas." He felt like those sneakers were the cause of his foot injuries. Mm. Okay, so you know it, it was it was it was really a shame because he was he was a little bit bitter. You know, I bet. obviously T Mac w- was one of the greatest talents to ever play in the league. Facts, and for for him to basically have his career cut short because of what he felt was. His sneaker deal um, was was a problem, you know. the The thing about Shaq is, you know, David Aldridge, who is a highly respected reporter, you know, worked for ESPN, worked for TNT, sideline reporter, still does his thing for the Athletic. I think he's like the editor in chief down there in DC. I'm not sure, but I know that's the last time I talked to him. That's where he was. Um, so he, I, I walked in the locker room side. I've never met Shaq before. And they, because there was, whenever Shaq or superstars came to Philly, the locker room was always filled up with a bunch of reporters. Yeah. So we were waiting for, you know, the teams to get dressed after the game. And, and David Aldridge graciously went over to Shaq and said, I want you to meet somebody. Shaq basically moves everybody out the way. Comes over and shakes my hand, said, you know, nice to meet you, Michael Tillery. Anything you ever need, I got you, you know. So, you know, across the years after that, you know, when he was at Cleveland, you know, I I went out to Cleveland because uh, my editor, I was writing a a book at the time. My editor lived in, in Shakers Heights. So I was covering the Cleveland Cavaliers for three months at a time, you know. One of the times was when LeBron came back with the Heat. That game there was the most scariest game that I've ever went to because 
those people in Cleveland hated LeBron for leaving. That was the scariest game you ever been to. Even when we we gonna get into your NFL, uh, we gonna dig in NFL. But even with, with your NFL days, um, yeah. that's that that was the scariest one. Yeah, no, no question because of the the hate that they had. Yeah, LeBron. I wrote this piece called um, "The Hate That LeBron James Love Made." You know, and it's mm-hmm. one of the best pieces. You know, I, I think I posted it on Facebook. Like I said, my site. Is enough. I went back to the Wayback Machine and posted the link. The, it was the night before Thanksgiving. So that's the biggest drinking day of the year. You know, so okay. all, all these college kids were in Cleveland, in Shakers Heights, um, just reflecting on LeBron James from Akron. Mm-hmm. You can hear in their voices how they would love him and hate him in the same sentence because he was their prince. Yeah. The reason why the, the the game was so scary is because we didn't know as writers that were there if the, somebody was going to bomb the place. Shit. It was that tense. There was all kinds of fights in the stands. You know, it, it looked like um, the first kids who um, fought segregation for schools back in the 50s and 60s. That's that's what it felt like, how they were screaming at these players, you know. So it was a big event there, you know, and I was very fortunate to be there, but it was based off me doing the work. I gained some respect with a lot of the communications people across the league, and they gave me access to big games like that. I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. On my way to the game, I was crying. Mm. because I was at the epicenter of the sports world for that day. I still have the whole day in my mind. I have never written that story. Interviewed everybody from Mike Bivens from BBD, new addition to all of the Cleveland, um, you know, luminaries that were there. Bernie Kosar at the time played quarterback for the the Browns, Ron Harper, you know, who was a great Cleveland Cavalier before he uh, tore up his knee. He was on a Michael Jordan-type trajectory in terms of his offense and defense. Um, you know, uh, Terrell Owens was there. You know, uh, I hung out with Charles Barkley that night. Um, it was just a, a really great night. The, the two writers of, of name that I was there with was Delvis Valentine and Branson Wright. And Branson Wright should be basically – Brian Windhorse at ESPN now. I don't know Brian. I don't know how Brian Windhorse got that job over Branson Wright, being that Branson Wright knew so much about LeBron and had covered him, had written about him at the Cleveland Plain Dealer as well. But they picked Brian Windhorse. You know? Maybe politics. Yeah, maybe politics. You know, I'm sure it was that. But, uh, Branson Wright and I sitting on the wall at halftime. Bruce Pearl, who was the uh, at the time the Tennessee uh, 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 college head coach, you know, was talking to somebody, and Branch and I were saying, "Oh, look at Bruce Pearl right there." Um, and as we were standing on a wall, this this white lady walks up to us and is like, "Yo, um, can you show me to my seat?" And we were like, "Lady, uh, we're writers, not ushers, bitch." You know? It was embarrassing, man. But that's the way of this world. But again, that was a great night for me. 
um, you know, it, it was a great night to to really be in that city to see how that city reacted to LeBron James coming back. You know, I was also there when they pulled down the Nike banner, yeah, off the building. You know, I saw. Oh, it's great. You know, I saw how uh, the the city was energetic and electrified when LeBron was there after he left, and they took out all of his. Uh, you know, names and faces off of the Q, Q, the Q arena. Mm-hmm. You know, there was nobody there. Like, if there were so many businesses right there around the, the stadium, and they were all packed when LeBron was there. And when he was gone, there was nothing. The one thing about Cleveland is because it's such a, a city that's fallen by the wayside. Um, you could tell when the who the players were based on their cars coming out of the parking garage. Oh, dang! And a lot of the fans there would would follow the cars until they couldn't no more. You know, um, yeah. It was just a it was just a bad time for the city. I remember, you know, being at my editor's house and she ordered a pizza, and I, you know, went to give the the piece of delivery man, a five dollar tip. He was like, I gave him a hundred dollars. Oh, five dollar tip. <laughs> the town was that down, it was down bad. Yeah. It really was. I remember having a conversation with the taxi cab driver on my way to her house, and it, you, all you saw was a bunch of taxis, but nobody was getting into them out of the train station. I would take the train to Cleveland from I would go from Philly to Pittsburgh and found eventually to, to Cleveland. Now, mm-hmm. thing about that, on my way back after that game, on my way back to Philadelphia, I it was like twelve o'clock at night. It was, a, it was a snowy night, and I got on this bus, and I'm talking to uh, the bus driver about this game, about LeBron, about his legacy, about Cleveland. You know what? Who the bus driver was? It was a bus driver who punched that girl. Oh, are you serious? Yes. It was oh him. man going to jail now that brother yeah you know? um going to jail today <laughs> that was something it was really something man so the point about this is I am fortunate to be in moments in spots like that yeah be able to see history as it happens you know for me to to recognize that bus driver was something. You know, um, for for me to be at that game was was really something. I'm I'm very appreciative for the Cleveland Cavaliers for allowing me to cover that game. I remember the night before I had a long conversation with Chris Bussard, one of my friends, hey. about um, you know LeBron, his legacy, um, and, and how I should approach that game. The, the game was really something because I was also interviewed by the Wall Street Journal, and the Wall Street Journal also published uh, this page of what the Cleveland Cavaliers fans were going to do like at, at certain parts of the game to really give it to LeBron. You know, I, I have a problem with fans at times because this kid is, a, a, at the time, he was 26 years old, and the, one of the reasons why he left, what people don't understand is, um, uh, Dan Gilbert, the owner at the time, was building casinos 
based on LeBron's popularity. Oh, wow. Did not want to be that dude where he had the city's financial, you know, everything about the finances on his 26-year-old shoulders. Uh He didn't want that responsibility. So that was one of the reasons why he left. Dan Gilbert, you know, he, you know, his son recently died. Rest in peace. I remember, you know, I remember his son, um, you know, walking by us, you know, waiting for that game to begin. You know, Reggie Miller walking by me and hit me in my stomach. (laughs) (laughs) Having a conversation with David Aldridge there and, and Eddie House about Eddie House being a receiver for. Uh, the Oakland Raiders. That's how athletic he was. We were actually having that conversation, even though he never played football, but we we would have that conversation. I remember everything about the build-up to that game. It was just an extraordinary period, extraordinary time for me to be in. We also had a conversation, you know, in in a, uh, where we, where we eat about, you know, who was going to average a triple double. Nobody believed me when I said somebody's going to do it. I thought it was going to be LeBron. end up being Russell Westbrook first. Yeah. But it, it happened, you know. So the, the thing about me, which, what I would want to get across to fans of um, the, the, the future generations is history is very important to me. My, my father taught me to remember the memory before the memory. Mm. If you have a memory that, that's very important to you, try to go further and remember what happened before that. Okay? And then you can try to remember what happened before that. And it expands your memory. And you'll be able to think back to where you were a toddler, basically. Uh-huh. And you try to develop that memory. Like, he would do certain things where he would, uh, when I lived in Chester, he would have a bird seed on the windowsill. I would have to remember the sequence of and what type of birds flew on that windowsill. He would make me remember that. And that, again, is what strengthened my memory. So when people try to ask me about things, I don't have to go to Google. You know, I can just yeah. go into my mind. One of the, one of, another friend of mine, Bob Ryan from the Boston Globe, you know, who covered way back to uh, Bill Russell, you know, he remembers the whole 1972 draft in the NBA. It was 12 rounds. He remembers the entire draft. Okay, so those are the people who are my, I call soul models, not role models, soul models. I like that. So, you know. Um, those are the people who I am attached to because they are very important to history. We live in a 24-hour news cycle now. Everything uh-huh. happens and is gone. I try to hold on to the memory so for future reference and for future generations to understand how things are connected. That's dope, man. Sheesh. Now, you said you you said you interviewed Kobe. I need I need you to tell me tell me how that interview went, and I need you to tell me everything. Like where were you at? How did you feel? How did it impact you when you heard that he passed away? 
Wow. So I was, I was thinking about that as you were talking. Um, so to, to preface that, Spencer Haywood um, was the first uh, to fight the NBA in terms of early, you know, getting into the league without being a four-year college guy. Uh-huh. He, he went all the way to the Supreme Court. At the same time that he was there, Muhammad Ali and Kurt Flood were there also fighting their different cases. So Spencer Haywood told me that he got his turnaround jumper from Will Chamberlain. So everybody thought that Will Chamberlain was just like dunking guy all the time. Will Chamberlain had a fluid outside game. He was one of the strongest athletes to ever live. I think Will Chamberlain was the best athlete to ever live. It was a mm-hmm. had with LeBron James as well. LeBron James is in that category because he played football. He probably could have been a quarterback in the league. He, he wanted to be more of a wide receiver, caught the ball downfield. I thought it was tight end. Yeah, right, right, tight end. Yeah. yeah. He was also a third-string quarterback who threw the ball. Okay. And, and they would um, use him on flea flickers. Okay. And Branson Wright also interviewed LeBron on football. One of our interviews became that State Farm commercial where LeBron was playing, you know, football in, in the commercial. Uh, we, neither one of us were compensated for that. <laughs> you know? oh. But, um, yeah, so, you know, again, you know, speaking to the great grace of the game at the time as they are in their prime, Kobe was one of them. And so Earl DePrell Moreau, who was Black Jesus, who played with Washington Bullets and um. the Knicks and won the last uh, uh, NBA championship with the Knicks with Walt Frazier, that was the backcourt. Walt had like 37 points, like 20, 19 assists in that game. You know, well, well, Black Jesus, Elder Pearl, had this spin move. He created this spin move that eventually became Barry Sanders' spin move in the NFL. Okay. So as he's come here, Kobe comes here with the Lakers, Elder Pearl Moreau, who was from Philadelphia, you know, was at the game, and I asked Kobe, you know, did you two ever meet before? So they were introduced for the first time, and Kobe was telling me he got his spin move from Earl the Pearl. He got his turnaround jumper not from Michael Jordan, but Spencer Haywood. Shit. Okay? So a lot of the information is wrong. The reason why I interview these dudes is because I want to get out of their mouths. So, again, you know, like, again, me and my boy Anthony Gilbert would follow these great athletes around, you know, along the East Coast. And so Kobe w- was very familiar with us because we took it personally to ensure that his legacy and their legacies was right. We didn't go on secondhand information. You never saw me in a press conference writing down other other reporters quotes if i didn't get it myself i didn't write it okay Uh. Um, vice versa a lot of my quotes was passed all around the country you know and that's why i think i really got in trouble because if you're in the locker room especially in basketball the tv guys go first the radio goes second and then the floor is open to everybody else but a lot of my quotes will lead off Comcast. Will lead yeah. off different of these uh, news stations in the area, you know. And 
a lot of people were like, who is this dude? So uh, a lot of people would ask me in the press row, what are you writing on today? How are you here? Wh- wh- who are you here with? It, it be, they, they were suspicious of me. All I tried to do was write the game. I called the game Soul Rock Soul at the time. You know, so Kobe would basically tell me about his career. You know, we would really push forward, you know, him being from the area, playing for Lower Marion. Um, you know, I remember a game that I went to at Chester, at Chester when Lower Marion played Chester. And one of my boys' name was Barry Bell. You know, he, he recently passed as well. Called me up and said, yo, this dude, Kobe Bryant, you got to come see him. This is because before I was a writer. And that was the beginnings of that. Also, Jameer Nelson was doing his thing at, at you know. Um, at St. Joe's. At St. Joe's. Tommy was at Chester. I watched, I watched um, maybe three games of Jameer in the playoffs that year where he hit either the game-winning shot or the game-tying shot to take the game in overtime. And three straight games. It was ridiculous. He, he was an incredible high school player. Kobe was the best high school player I've ever seen. Another guy was, was Baron Davis. I just talked about this on Facebook the other day. Down in D.C. at the Capitol Classic, Baron Davis went off. And he had a great NBA career. But, you know, Kobe was more of Probably the, the the most personal athlete um, who I, I've spoken to, based on him understanding what me and Anthony Gilbert were trying to do as writers to, to protect his legacy. This is coming off of Colorado, you know. This is coming off of you know people calling him ball hog, you know this, that un, you know selfish player. Kobe was very unselfish, you know he. He just wanted to make sure he won. That was his whole thing. So, you know, on, on that January 20th, um, uh, obviously this is before COVID hit, and I'm sitting at my dining room table, and I get a text from Anthony Gilbert. Anthony Gilbert, I think, should have been the writer of note from Kobe Bryant. Like, I was more of a general sports reporter. Even though I was connected to Kobe Bryant, Anthony Gilbert knew his family. He went to Temple with his sisters. You know, he should have been that guy. Maybe he will be that guy, you know, later on to write something great of Kobe Bryant. But, you know, so he texted me and was like, yo, did, did you hear? And I said, no. And he called me and he, he told me. And I, I, I hung up and I went outside and I, I, just, I just cried. And I recorded it. It's on Instagram. You know, I, I couldn't believe it. It was it was still such a shock because Kobe Bryant the night before is when LeBron James passed him on the all-time scoring. Yeah, okay. Right. So I I thought that I was gonna get this great interview with Kobe Bryant speaking about LeBron passing him, and Kobe basically told me that I got to go watch my baby girl play in California. That's what type of father he was. You know, he didn't want to to upset her or miss time with her. The, the One of the biggest regrets I have as a father is me covering games while my kids were playing games in high school. 
I didn't get to see a lot of my kids playing high school because I was all about the grind. I had to build my career. So I missed and I had to sacrifice a lot of things that I should have been there for my kids. And, you know, it's a, it's a huge regret of mine. It, it really is. Especially when seeing Kobe being able to, you know, go home to Calabasas when we die in Calabasas, you know, um, with his daughter on that helicopter, you know. But he went there to watch his daughter play. And I think he would have made the same decision over again, to be perfectly honest. You know, I believe so too. But it it was a really sad time. Like I don't think that Anthony Gilbert or, or I have gotten over it yet. That was three years ago. It still rocks me when everybody says his name. Yeah. Another, another one of my good friends, Jamel Hill, um, had a great interview with him. You know, Cole Wiley, who's son of the the best sports writer in history, I think, and Ralph Wiley, and I talk about this all the time, where he said, you know, basically, there is no failure. You know, failure does not exist. And he, t- he told Jamel this in, in this interview. You know, Kobe was a different dude. Um, a, a lot of writers and I, when we were covering, you know, the, the Sixers really heavy, at the time, whenever Kobe would come here and he would listen to the boos, and I was always wonder why the Sixers fans booed him, being that he was from here. But it was he told us that he saw the the court as a grid. So on certain parts of the floor, he w- would pull up on a jumper based on that grid in his mind. You know, so he was such a spectacular player. Now, before the Beijing Olympics in 2008, um, there was a, a media event up in, in Manhattan uh, where we would basically go from room to room and interview um, all of the players that were going to be on that Olympic team. And, you know, um, I asked Kobe, I said, yo, what's going to what are you going to get out of this, being that you are already a great player? And does this Olympic experience augment what is already a great player? And he just looked at me and says, all I do is live in the moment. Mm. Okay? So for him to tell me that kind of changed the way I looked at things. Because I always looked at, you know, preparing for the future, this and that. Kobe lived in the moment. So people out there who are Kobe Bryant lovers have to understand that he got all he could out of life. He, he made up with his wife after Colorado. He made sure that <laughs> girls were taken care of yeah. in terms of him building who they will eventually be. And he was also preparing himself for the moment of his NBA career. Whatever moment that it was, whatever next game that was, he didn't look at himself historically at all. He looked at himself as in that moment, whatever that day and time was, and what he would do to stamp his name on a game that he played in that particular moment. So it, it, it still is a hurt piece. Like I get emotional thinking about Kobe Bryant. You know, I still see that kid, that, that eight, that Afro 8, that Buster Fro 8. That David Ruffin uh, uh, Afro. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a 24 and uh, building on the, the, the Los Angeles Lakers legacy, you know, being able to play for one team, you know, scoring, you know, what the 60 points in that last game that he played in, you know, um, him being this, this burgeoning entrepreneur who was producing a lot of things, winning Oscars for his work, you know, doing a lot of things that a lot of athletes now do based on him being this cool-ass professional, always being a a perpetual learner. You know, he wanted to learn everything. He he wanted to make sure that he was prepared mentally and physically for the moment. A lot of people have to understand this is the path that he took. Everybody doesn't have to take this path, but I think it's the best path to take. Is to live in the moment. Everything else will take care of itself if you are prepared for that moment. That's deep. Damn. So I gotta ask you. With so now I know you you said that you was wondering why Philly was booing Kobe. Now, from this point of view, we was booing him because he never represented Philly. He never, re- he, from, from what we know, he never claimed us. Is that something that you was aware of? No, nah, he, he always claimed Philadelphia. Always. Like he, see, this, 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 this is the thing. If you, don't, if you don't follow independent journalists like Anthony Gilbert and I, uh-huh. Because everybody else was like ESPN, um, you know, Fox Sports, um, Yahoo, um, all of these big... All of the mainstreams. Yeah, all the mainstream things. They weren't asking the right questions. Also, they were trying to make him be out to this villain, to be this villain. Kobe would smile when Anthony and I, his, his, his locker, if you walk into the Sixers locker room, his locker was always right to the left. You walk in and go right to the left, the corner locker. So if Anthony Gilbert and I, knowing this, would flank him on this corner locker. Now, like Dr. J started this. Dr. J started it and passed through Michael Jordan, went to Kobe Bryant, went to like guys like Chris Webber, Juwan Howard. They did not get dressed in the locker room. They got dressed in the training room. Mm. And they, they all wore suits. Okay, so they, they, they upheld their media responsibilities. They knew because they were so polarizing that they had to be, they had to look the part and be the part. Okay, so Kobe sitting in the corner of this locker room, when he saw us already there, when he would walk up and you would see all the media throng basically get all intense. Because, you know, Kobe Bryant's about to speak, you know. When he saw us, he would smile. He knew that we had him. And not in like a, you know, uh, uh, swinging off his nutsack type thing. You know what I'm saying? Nah, I wasn't even thinking that. It was more about he knew that we were going to do it right. Yeah, I wasn't, that, was, that didn't even come to, come to mind. I'm looking at it like... Well, they already going to ask him some dumbass questions, and then you got the white media. You got 
people that just want people that just want a sound a sound bite. But then you see y'all, and it's like, all right, I'm I'm I, I can I don't gotta be so tense. I don't gotta be I don't gotta be so tense. They gonna like they go they gonna ask me some right questions. They gonna be they they not gonna they not gonna put me out there and make me look stupid. So that's what that's what came to my mind. And and let me say this too. Let me say something else that came to my mind. I don't now because this this what you this what this this is what remind me of when when hearing you saying that. It, um, I can easily find a clip. I don't. I do not know this young lady's name. She's a um she's a writer as well. Um, this is a a recent like this 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 NBA season. She, um, Westbrook. It was an interview that he had. And she's she's breaking down his game. Like, how did you? What was coming through your mind when you did the spinning? When 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 you went from one court to the other court, you stopped right here on the dime. You did this like she. It, it was like she was Russell Westbrook analyst. You get me? And he and man, when I tell you he had the biggest smile, he was like, "What is your name again?" <laughs> you know, so he's like, "Why are you really pay attention?" He's like, "Yo, you need to be around here more often." Just, just like it, she didn't sound like a Russell Westbrook fanboy. She sound like you, what you're saying right now. I know my shit. They already got you out here to be this villain as well. Let me sit there and let me ask you the questions that I know that's going to make you look good, like the real Westbrook. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, uh, that's. So- that, that 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 is a great point there. So, uh, another interv- another interview that I did was, it went viral. It was like a six thousand six thousand word interview on my site. Um, was an interview with Ryan Artest. Okay. And, and Ryan Artest, um, arguably, could be looked at as the greatest two way player in the league because his defense was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And he could put up thirty on you too as well with fifteen rebounds. Like mm-hmm. Ryan ridiculous player. But because of the reputation, you know, people don't see him as such. Ryan right. told me exactly what happened in the Malice to the Palace. You know, these right these athletes will tell you if you ask the right questions. Mm-hmm. You have to be fully researched. You can't just walk in thinking that you're going to ask some question from some editor that's going to give you some clicks. This goes back to the 1930s with Walter Winchell. Walter Winchell was a, 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 a radio and an excellent writer, a radio guy and excellent writer. His editors saw him as valuable who could make him money, so he demonized him. Mm-hmm. So what he did was start to go after politicians, athletes, um, Josephine Baker of Notes, where... You know, he basically ripped them apart, and that's how he got popular. That is the model that is still used today. They don't care about wanting to know the history and how that can affect a fan. A 12-year-old fan who's reading that interview, who has some talent, who needs the inspiration, who will be inspired by the words of that interview if it's done correctly. All they want to know is about who you had sex with last night. What 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 would you drink? You know, yeah. um, uh, uh, all kinds of other crazy stuff, even down to what you wore, which I'm cool with that. But that really has nothing to do with the game. What happened in the blogosphere is writers started to come up who were talking about the game, but never being at 
the game. In my opinion, you cannot get the full breast of what went down at that game unless you were there. There's a certain atmosphere. There's a smell to the arena. There's a, 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 the voice of the crowd. You know, there's old guys who used to play in the NBA who are who were superstar, iconic legends who are walking around, who are either trainers, assistant coaches, um, uh, community ambassadors, or whatever. I would interview all these people. I would interview the fans. I wanted the people to know exactly what happened at that game. Right now, it's about they put, you know, like you said, Russell Westbrook or or some other athlete to the corner, and they speak about whatever they want to speak about. And then when the athlete talks about it, they cut the athlete off based on the questions that they want to ask them. That That's not the whole story of the game. Let that man speak. Let that woman speak about their experience so that the future can know what is going on. Now, understand that a lot of people aren't fathers, mothers. A lot of people aren't coaches. A lot of people weren't athletes. I was all of them. So my questions are going to be fully rounded based on my life experience. I am trying to make sure that the younger generation knows exactly the value of the players who are playing now. Not based on pop culture, but based on who they actually are. How did they get there? I remember uh, there was a, a, a guard called Kevin Martin. He played for Sacramento Kings. And Kevin Martin was a, a scorer, like at a Monte Ellis. Oh, he was the quick, quickest, rele- quickest release that I know. Yes. So I asked him, you know, why – what made you like Chinese food, right? And he's like, how did you know that? <laughs> when you walk into the press room, if you ask for it, it would give you a media guide. The media guide will have all the facts and you know the origins of players. They would, they would have all of these things in these media guides. So in his biography, in his bio, I saw he likes Chinese food. So that ended up being a great conversation after I asked him that question. Everybody was laughing. The media was like, wow, you know, but it opened up the room to a less serious questioning. You know, to where the athlete is not tense, worrying about who was going to ask him a crazy question. Mm -hmm. You know, Donovan McNabb was a guy like that as well when he was here in Philly. You know, I would make sure I was the last person to walk in the press room, you know, as he sat down to the podium. What people understand is the quarterbacks in the NFL dress separately from their teammates. They have their own showers, you know, because they're they know that they're going to be the first person who's going to be asked questions. So they're they're makes sense. Their locker and everything is right next to the door to the press conference. So all I gotta do is get dressed. Go right to the press conference. I try to be the last in there to try to loosen him up because a lot of these questions were going to be ridiculous. I also tried to ask him the first question. Sometimes that would affect the whole room based on me asking an actual football question. Not something that was about, well, how come you and Deshaun Jackson didn't get Right. <laughs> What's going on with you and Deshaun Jackson? Why do you and T.O. beefing? 
Yeah, I don't want to hear about that. <laughs> this dude just played a football game. That's what we're talking about. You know, everybody has their own agenda. I'm not really going to, um, you know, uh, criticize people on who they are. If you're going to base yourself on a mainstream model, so be it. That's that's who you are. My agenda was is different. Like, I, you know, I, I, as an independent, I'm able to get in deep to the stories that I think are relevant. You know, and eventually these stories become the ripples. People, the, the, when these stories come out, people is like, uh, where did that come from? They don't know it's me. They don't know me. I ain't famous. But I'm the one who made, put that story into the vernacular. You know, and that that's my aim, to add something different to it. You know, like I, when I say happy birthday to people, if right. you're, I say happy you day. Ah, I like that. I like if, that. <laughs> if, if you're a man, I say happy next 365. Hey, I like that. You know what I'm saying? So there's different things that you can do. If, if it's your anniversary, I say happy, happy. I don't say happy anniversary. I say happy, happy. Those are the things that make me to be remembered. Because you're saying different things. You aren't following someone else. You are carving your own path. That's how you learn. By stepping outside the box and being prepared for the moment and being unprepared. Like I told you before we came on, just ask me anything, man. I got you. You know, if, if it's something that I don't know, I'm going to tell you I don't know it. But it's something that I can expand on, expound on. I can do that. And, and any questions not going to be something I can't answer. Now, I want to I want to piggyback off. It's not the same thing, but it is. It, it's 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 under the same umbrella. You were saying that it's it's a it's a completely different vibe being at the sporting event. Com- Excuse me. Compared to not being there, right? Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about wrestling because I'm a huge wrestling fan, right? Still to this day, and there's so many people, even casual fans, to this day, they're like, "Nah, it's completely different in in person than it is on TV. Completely different vibe." So I've I've been to quite a few um, wrestling events uh, in person, but. Everyone said that to me. I'm like, I gotta go. These people don't even know half of these people. I do, but even they even going. So I'm saying all that to say, I see what you're talking about. No, I'm not interviewing it, but I see what you mean by the atmosphere. Like said, the, the smell, you can see the spit coming out of people's mouths. Like it just, it just turns you. It just, it's just a different, it's just a completely different vibe than hundreds of people at the bar or with the homies it's just a different vibe. Like, it's like you can feel it. So I see what you, I, you can see the expressions. Like, and now back to you, you can see the expressions on the player's face. You know what's happened that you don't see on TV. You get what I'm saying? Like, I completely get what you're saying. I know it's not the same, but that's the closest thing that I can come, that I can think of, of being in the mix. Like, how so- it's different. Yeah, so people don't understand really the value of Chris Paul, right? So, what I think Paul, real real basketball fans do, the right? real ones. What I'm saying is, though, if you're at the game, you'll see that he is a lot of times coaching from the scorer's table. 
and the players are going up and down the court, he's coaching them as if he's the head coach. He, you can't see that sometimes on TV. Yeah, of course. You know, if you're in an arena, you can hear because you can see it. You know, little nuances like that. Like uh, Kevin Garnett, when he was playing, was able to articulate the interior pick and rolls as they can. And he would talk defensively to his players. You don't see that on TV. I'm not saying that people watching the game can't really grasp the the X's and O's because you can. What I'm saying is you don't see the emotions. You don't understand the personalities. Um, you're not seeing the refs. Like So at, at, on the last possession of the quarter, the refs are holding up a one, meaning this is the last possession. If a right. player forgets, they look to that ref, and you can see that the players, the ref is holding up a one for the for the last possession. That's very important. Uh-huh. But you just you you can't see that if you're not if you're not at the game. Yeah. You really have to look for the certain nuances of any sporting event while you're there. I try to take in all of it. I'm looking to see what the how the fans are reacting, you know, because I, what I call is Christmas eyes. When the fans come into the arena, they got these Christmas eyes. Like you're walking down the steps and seeing what's under the Christmas tree. <laughs> so they're 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 wanting to see the athletes who they prepare to be there at the moment. They took off for work. Whatever they spent the money, they did what they got to do to get the money available for them to be able to buy the tickets, you know. So when they finally get to the game, they're excited to be there, and that's why a lot of think I think a lot of fans, you know, are um, myth when a player does not play. That's the reason why they're so upset because of load management. I get it because they they did so many things just to get to the game. Right. Right. So, so, you know, while I do understand load management because a lot of these players have so many responsibilities, especially the top-tier guys, you know, um, like they, they got guys like me calling them every day for these 15-minute interviews. So they might do five or six of these a day. <clears throat> then you got to go to the shoot-around and talk to the media then, you know. Um, then you got pregame. A lot of players don't talk pregame. The, the Boston Celtics were really one of the first teams when KG, Paul Pierce, and Ray Allen were there who said to the media, we don't talk before the game. So the pregame is when a lot of magazine and newspaper writers get their features if they aren't able to go shoot around, which is sometimes like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Okay. So uh, there, there's like seven minutes after the after the game for for us to talk to the players, you know. After they I get dressed, and we gotta you know wait for me to get dressed, and you know then we can finally get into them to ask the questions that we want, you know. Uh, if you ever cover a game, make sure you go to shoot around. That's where you can get the the most access to a player. I remember I was talking to Derek Rose one time. Chicago was here. And I looked over because I kept seeing this this jumper fall. I'm like, what the who is that? It was Joel and B making oh, sure. jumpers, but this dude was still on two crutches at the time. Oh. I, I was like, yo, that dude can play. 
he can play right now. Why isn't he playing? Yeah. You know, so a, a lot of the, the stories, the backdrops of things that happen in these sporting events, you only get if you're there. You know, like I said, I'm not decrying or criticizing people who are analysts, you know, as watch from watching the games from TV or getting secondhand information from writers who were there. I'm just saying that if you want the authentic feeling, the value of the game, you got to be there yourself and see it through your own eyes. Like, like I'm not, I'm not really interested in who else is asking questions. I know I have what I want to ask these players. Like, I don't, I don't even write anything down before these press conferences. I look at the stat sheet, the score sheet, and see what's relevant. And that's what I go in there with. If I'm able to ask the first question, it's going to be what I see on that stat sheet or something I saw in the game. Like when Kobe was here a lot of times, like when the players were, when the fans were booing him, say, how does that fire you up? How do you get through that? Or I would ask LeBron after a tough NBA, after a tough loss the season before, how do you get back up after losing the last game? You know? And a, a lot of these players would give you some of the best stuff based on how they're affected emotionally. Right. Now, let me ask you a two-parter. One is one we're going to I'm, I'm because I asked the last time I asked a question question it was about Westbrook number one oh before I get to what uh, I DM'd you the interview that I was I didn't want to send you just a clip of the young lady that was interviewing I wanted to send you the full four minutes of some change and the reason why I sent you the full one is because I wanted you to see the, the just like what you're saying the levels of the questions. They're trying to get a soundbite out of him. And she comes out of nowhere. And he has that, the fuck? Like, he's surprised. But like, like she knows what she's talking about. This is this is what I was telling you. This is what listening to you, telling me about your interviews, and even me reading your interviews. Because I, I read a, a, a couple of your interviews. And I might be wrong, because I know this was many years ago when I was a young, really, a young boy then. But I think I seen you on TV interview, um... Um, on, on, on CSN, it was one of them AI interviews. If I'm not mistaken, I might be wrong. You can correct me yeah, if you. Yeah, but yeah, I yeah, think I've was, seen you a few times. Yeah, that was that was definitely me. That's when AI came back the last time. Came back exactly before he retired. You know, I forget exactly what I asked him. I, I yeah, video clips somewhere. Right. Yeah. It was. It, it was. It was about. Something about the Philadelphia fans, if I can't remember, you know, how with you coming back, um, you, know, you know, pay homage to the Philadelphia fans for because we loved AI when he was here. Facts. You know, so, it, so, so I, I want I want you to see the like, like you, like you said, like the way they ask these questions, they trying to set these athletes up. But then you got someone like that young lady, like yourself, like your man Anthony Gilbert. They ask that right question is like, yeah, he got me. You get what I'm saying? He got them. He got me questions. Like, like you said, that's that's gonna be my phrase for the night. No, no, no. It's, it's too late at night. That's my that's my phrase for the next for the next for the rest of the week. He got me. Yeah. <laughs> so I want you to I want you to see that you're gonna see exactly what I'm talking about. This that was amazing. Um. So so the question was, and I would have sent it. I would have uh, sent it on, on Twitter. Um, but I don't know how to do that. I'm not trying to figure that out and end this. So I just personally DM'd you. So anyway, the question is, two-parter. Number one, 
because we saw my Westbrook. How do you feel about fans when they when they do too much to these athletes? Like for example, Westbrook in Philly, the guy he threw up the, the fuck you signs of Westbrook. Westbrook pointed at him, got him kicked out. Come to find out, the guy was a comedian. But yeah, whatever. I'm not whatever because you got guys spitting on athletes. How do you feel about about verb not physically? Because we all know that spit. That's a whole other conversation. But verbally doing too much for the athletes when they're upset or they don't like them. That's number one. Number two, you were saying how um, the, the refs, they have their hand up. Last possession. What, what the hell was... I know you can't physically... I know you can't speak for him, but what the hell was going through J.R. Smith's mind in the finals? My, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> my opinion, I don't have any knowledge. I think Jared was high as fuck. <laughs> Yo, I mean, because it's, it's different now. You know, these we is decriminalized. You know, uh, I, I'm not gonna lie. When, when I played on a team, we probably lost five games in ten years. And me and my other two dudes, who were stars of the squad, we were high every game. <laughs> Yo, it, it made the jumper wet. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It was it was it was ridiculous. The things, the movements that you were make was only there because of the herbal essence. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, um, you know, Jr. You know, maybe he messed around with the wrong strand that night. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and and forgot where he was. You know, <laughs> it, that, it happens. You know, I remember one time I was so high I walked up the court and the people in the cell was like, "Yo, come on." What are you doing? I was still in the backcourt. <laughs> I, 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 was, I was high out of my mind. You know what I'm saying? So maybe that happened to him that one time, you know? Um, but as far as the fans, like I wrote, I wrote something in the New York Times, and it's still, on, it's still in the archives there, about uh, fans and their behavior uh, to athletes, fans sometimes have this entitlement because they paid that money. As I was alluding to earlier, about them doing what, all the things they have to do to get to the game, so they're charged up, they hyped up, they, 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 they you know, they, they want these athletes to score ninety-seven points in a game, fifty-five <laughs> pounds. You know what I'm saying? But and if you if they don't play up to their standards, they're going to be pissed. I, in my opinion, and maybe because I was that athlete, I don't agree with booing. I don't understand booing. No one is sitting at your job booing you if you're if you have a bad day, if you got you know uh, hungover, if you're hungover and you ain't ready to do what you're supposed to do. You don't have nobody booing you. People have to understand this: athletes are in their bracket. Like, so they're just like it, your job, you know, my job, everybody else's job. That's what they're seeing. They're seeing the sport as their job, even though it's a game and they get paid millions of dollars, crazy million dollars to play it. It's still their job. So they have bosses at their job. The fans ain't their bosses. Fans think that they are their bosses. Fans think that they can shit all over these athletes just because they pay money. 
And athletes are looking at them like, yo, dude, you know, who are you? Why are you talking to me like this as if you know my mama? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So people aren't able to separate that part of it. They think that because these dudes are on TV, they can say whatever they want to in their social media posts. They can not say whatever. They can they could fabricate things. Um, they could uh, uh, just totally like like I, I was upset with people for for being critical of those people in that submersible, laughing and making jokes about them. Now you know we can sit and say we might not have done the same thing in that situation, but at the time when that submersible was missing, those people's families were scared as fuck for them. <sighs> people aren't able to separate the fact that these people are affected by their families as well. They have people who care about them. So where we may laugh at these people, these people, their families ain't laughing at them. They're, they're, they're yelling at the TV. They're yelling at these writers. They're doing, why are you talking about my family member like that? These people are human beings who picked up a ball at six or seven and ended up into the NBA or the NFL or Major League Baseball or the MLS or the Premier League, Wimbledon or whatever. There's a lot of preparation that had to happen for them to get there. Some people are buoyed by the hatred of them and inspired by that by them that in a revengeful way gets them to the show. A lot of people are are coached by their fathers, you know, their mothers, and you know, whether their fathers were or, or mothers were good at the sport, and they or cousins or brothers or whatever that helped them be, get them out of their shell. That snotty nosed kid who's sitting in the corner, who, who's hungry as hell, who has this talent. They're inspired by that. What they did not have, what they now have. They had to do what they had to do to get there. And a lot of it has nothing to do with the fans. Fans don't pay these players. Their, their admission to the game does not pay these players. The revenue does. All of okay. them. You know, the ownership. The apparel. It's not a fan who's saying, yo, fuck you, you ain't played good today, you suck to my fantasy league. That's not what pays the players. The clicks does, the conversation does, all of the things do. But it's all a myriad of things that gets that players their compensation. Many of it does not have to do with a, a, a athlete, I mean, a fan conversation about how he sucked the night before. It has nothing to do with it. All right, let me let me play white devil's advocate. Um, so that all may be accurate, but here's the part where, for the first time this this, this interview, many conversations we may slightly disagree, slightly, because I agree with you ninety percent of what you're saying. The only ten percent where I'm like, come on now, is like you what you just said. You said the emissions we don't pay. We don't pay their salary by admissions, by, by, by going into the game. But us fans, 
we're not entitled. I, I, well, first of all, we're, we're not entitled. But I feel like we do have some say so when we are paying to see you. And number one, you cop out. When I mean you cop out as in when you're playing city committee, and I don't mean like you having a bad game. We all have bad games. Again, I'm agreeing with you all that. It's just when you look like you're not even trying. That's the part where it's, come on, bro. Like, I spent my money to see you, and this is what you get? All right. On top of that, we are paying. You got jerseys. You got sneakers. We're paying that. And if the fans don't make a difference, I eat the, the bubble eat. Come on. I'm not the bubble eat, but that's what it felt like, the lead. Come on, the, the, uh, the bubble. Look how that turned out. So what, this, is what, this is what I would say to that, which I am in total agreement with it if a player isn't playing up to his abilities. Like Ben I, Simmons. I was pissed at, but see, again, you know, there, there, sometimes there are reasons for the fall off in, in performance. So what I what I notice in being in a locker rooms across all sports, players are most affected by childbirth, divorce, marriage, and death. So well, where, you know, someone might, you know, report, you know, uh, like Jimmy Johnson, the NASCAR racer, his, uh-huh. his, his mother-in-law killed everybody in the house and herself. Uh-huh. Chris Benoit, something like that. Right. So, you know, a lot of times, like Bubba Chuck, the practice interview, practice. that was about his boy. Uh-huh. Exactly. Okay. So if you don't have that context, you're going to wonder why a human being isn't playing up to his capability. His mind is off the game. Okay? So it's not that he's always going to be like that because obviously they aren't because they're superstars and they're, they're performing well. But if something is affecting their livelihoods, their lifestyle, you know, their day to day, the people who they support them and lean on to be in that moment, they're going to be down. Yeah. Okay? It's just a simple thing. Now I'm not saying like I you know I was I was really mad at James Harden and Joe B for how they performed in that last playoff series versus Boston. I think that they did not play up to their ability. I don't know what happened in their life. On a superficial level, I'm saying that they did not play up to their abilities. So I was pissed off at that. But in hindsight, you know, listening to you and speaking on this, maybe something was going on in their life and it happened to be an imperfect storm. You know, the thing about Ben Simmons is this. People were focused on uh, not taking dunk. Right, the Atlanta series you're talking about, right? Ben Simmons, yeah, the Atlanta series. Talk so to me. The, the 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 he held Trey Young to five of twenty five shooting in that game. <clears throat> okay, Ben Simmons grew up in Australia. Right. Okay, it was him and his sister Olivia. Uh-huh. His mother had four other children. 
prior to being married to Ben Simmons' dad. Those four children were away, you know, and, uh, and Ben Simmons and his sister were basically isolated to be who they are because they were younger. Okay? So, what when when his sister Olivia put up this cryptic IG post about being molested by Ben Simmons' right-hand man who was his yeah. If you looked at his stats, from that moment, his stats fell off. Ah. We would see games from Ben Simmons where he would be like 18, 15, and 13, right? Facts, facts. Okay? All of a sudden, those games were gone, non-existent. The problems that I had with the city, and I wrote this article on Sports Kita. People can read it on Sports Kita, where I brought up the the potential effect of him, his sister, being molested. Yeah. Okay? And how that would affect me as a brother, because I'm going to death. Right. Everything is not about the game. The problem that Mm -hmm. I have with sports right now, it, it, it kind of compartmentalized everything to the moment of the game. You are not allowed to have a human response right. eye of the game. Okay? Now, we thought I brought up the point about Ben Simmons being Australian. L.A., Los Angeles was his son. Not Philadelphia. Facts. Not New York. Facts. No, New York and Philadelphia are our son. That's where we want to yeah. play. It's where we want to be. Yeah. Right? His son was L.A. When he came yeah. up to LSU, he told the Sixers, I don't want to play for y'all. Okay. I heard that. He wanted to play for L.A. Yeah, I did hear that. Okay, that's what he grew up watching. He grew up watching because you're not going to go all the way to the East Coast. Of L.A.'s right there. That's the, that's the team that you're going to want to watch. So he's always wanted to play for either Clippers or probably Lakers. I'm not sure what team. I, I'm not saying I know that information. But, yeah. <coughs> excuse me. But what I'm saying is people have to understand he is not an American-born black dude from the hood. Right. Okay? He has a different mindset. These are foreigners coming into the league. While while they have a grasp of American culture based on TV. Like I was saying saying earlier about you you can't grasp the league – because you're watching on TV, that's their yeah. American culture on TV. Yeah, yeah. They ain't got a full grasp of it. They don't know everything. They, they don't know that some hoods you can't walk in with some certain colors on. Right. They don't know these certain things, so they're not going to think like Americans. We expect them to think like Americans, even though they talk like Americans. For the most part, they don't have an accent. You know. Even Joel B, you know, he, his accent is 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 is, is waning. It's, it's almost gone. It's from Cameroon. Facts. You know, if you go into a, a, a Sixers locker room after the game, you will also see him talking French to someone from Cameroon. Mm-hmm. From France. Yep. yep. Okay. So, so we have to understand that this country, and I understand you saying that we are entitled. I think we are entitled in the sense that we think that everybody's supposed to talk American. Everybody's supposed to talk English. Everybody says that all the time here. 
if you talk five or six more languages, doesn't that make you smarter to the, than the one dude who talks one language? Big facts. Okay? So we, we have to understand and we have to look at things more expansively. We can't just see humans as what we see out of our own eyes every day, even though this American civilization is at the pinnacle of the world's culture. Okay, that, that that is a huge thing. It, it is it is it is very glamorous for us to be up top. Okay, and people are trying to get up top. So they're playing their games, they're refining their games early on based on American culture. Ben Simmons did not want to play in Philadelphia. A lot of people, a lot of athletes don't want to pay in Philadelphia because of how tough we are on athletes. Mm-hmm. Okay, if you come into the city and you play like we want you to play, you will be ours forever. Ally Brian Dawkins, Allen Iverson, Jason, mm-hmm. you know those type of dudes. You know, but it, it, some dudes ain't built like that, and we, we can't be critical of them because they ain't from around here. But I got a rebuttal for that. I got a crazy rebuttal for that. Even though I agree with you with that, because I was talking, shout out to um, shout out to Bull. We just had this conversation about um, do we trade Max? I'm like, bro, you sound just like a Philadelphian. You like we want the microwave effect. Like, let this man cook. Let this man grow. Let this man do what he do, bro. Like, you only like, but, but is it three years enough? No, bro. Like, he's grown. Yeah, but he's been he haven't been the best in the last playoff. Bro, you sound just like the regular Philadelphian. We don't we want everything right now. So what I'm saying, what I'm saying to you is everything that you're saying is valid about Ben Simmons. I, I, I ain't gonna lie to you. I have countless of arguments about Ben Simmons, about the Atlantic series, even by his with down with his sister. But talking to you, you gave me a different perspective. I'm like, damn, bro. I low-key feel bad. But check this out. Here's my rebuttal. So the thing about Philly, we just want you to play with heart. Perfect example. Joker ain't from these streets, but if Joker was in Philly, we would have gave him nothing but love because all he do is leave his heart out on the table. I'm on the table on the floor. And he's humbled as F. He's like a spur. He's like a San Antonio spur. They're not from here. Half of the name organization ain't from ain't from America. But they but they humble and they play hard. They're not the most fun to watch, but they play. If Ben Simmons is a foreigner, just like half the Spurs history, just like the Joker, but just like Giannis. But the difference is the way he plays. He don't play with heart. If Giannis was in Philly, we will love him too because he plays with heart. Ben doesn't play with heart. Before and after the situation with his sister, Embiid plays with heart. Sometimes he be, sometimes he's soft as hell, bro. He's too damn soft, but he does give us nothing but love. He does play with heart. So how can you say, how can you say, good brother, that because he's not from here, he don't he, he doesn't play the way that Philly wants him to play, and now we want him out of here. When you got numerous numerous of athletes that's not from here, and they all play with heart, like I said, Giannis, Embiid, Joker, half the damn Spurs history. So here's here's the thing. What 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 I was saying to you is, before like I, I don't agree with you in saying that 
Ben Simmons did not play with heart before that because he was giving up these 25, 15, 15 games. At the time, he was in the top 10 of triple doubles all time. He was, though. He was. All time. We ain't talking about somebody who's played five, six, seven years, 10 years into the league. We're talking about somebody who was three, four, two, three, four years into the league who was able to ascend to Oscar Robertson, Magic Johnson type numbers. When Embiid was out for, I don't know, what, 20, 20 yeah. games, Ben Simmons went crazy. He went crazy. I think the second one was, what, 21 straight? Something crazy like that? It was around that. I don't know. I don't know the number. But I know. I know it was, it was a crazy number. I do know that much. Crazy, crazy yeah, number. It was. And people forget about the heart that Ben Simmons gave the city at that time. Ben Simmons was probably disappointed that all he was hearing about the Sixers, not you know the fans, him not hitting threes, because we in this bullshit ass soft era. <laughs> three pointer or nothing, which I think has wrecked the sport of basketball. Okay, he ain't from Europe. He's a six ten dude who drove to the lane at LSU and had a sixty five percent percent from the field. You know that was his that was his stat coming into the league. I always wonder why his his his, his shooting percentage was so high. When you're six ten, yeah. you're that athletic. You're going to the hole because it's the easiest thing to do. You don't Thanks. need to rely on your three pointer. Like Julius Irving once told me, he had three different careers. When he was in the ABA, he oh shot, yeah, he shot threes. I know about the ABA. I know about Julius Irving and, and ABA. Yeah. So you know, when he came to the NBA, he didn't shoot that many threes. His last, his last shot that he made was a three-pointer versus um, Milwaukee, you know. But he wasn't a three-point shooter. Some dudes ain't three-point shooters. Now we see Ben Simmons in different practices, whatever shooting threes, whatever. That's right. not the NBA game. We criticize Ben Simmons a little bit too much. No one focused on his defense. Ben Simmons is an all-time defender. The Sixers had two defenders who potentially would have been all-time defenders and also joined B and Matisse Thibel. Yeah, man. Child of Thibel. Different type of defensive team. What I hated is my media peers all coming in and trying to break up that team. The Sixers had a special Defensive team. When Jimmy Butler was there, yes, I was about to say that that 2019 team. They had a special defensive team. If yeah. that team was allowed to continue on and shut the fuck up when right. they lost, okay, we might see a different team right here in Philadelphia. <sighs> the media and the fans affect the teams here in Philadelphia. Yeah. If it's all negative, it's not going to work. Now, you made a great point. The fans love the heart. 
Are you giving that same heart to your soul, your family, and your job? Mm. <laughs> Talk your shit, bro. If you're not, shut the fuck up. <laughs> I don't want to hear what you have to say. Why are you expecting someone else to do what you don't do? Mm. But you pay money. That's a hoe. <laughs> Talk your shit. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> uh, man, you know, it, 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 I, I, I try to be a guy. I, I might have wrote, written 15 articles on Ben Simmons for Sports Kita um, during that whole thing. And I think that's one of the reasons why they hired me is because they knew that I had I covered the Sixers and I had a Philly perspective. Um, and I was objective because I was a father, a coach, an athlete. I was able to look at the sports here through those lenses. You know, being that 1983 was a long time ago. Like again, I told you earlier about my biggest moment was being interviewing Julius and Chuck D. I right. went to interview Julius because he was the guy I grew up watching. Right. The Michael Jordan. I called the five evolutions. We had Elton Beller. You had Connie Hawkins. You had Julius Irvin. You had Michael Jordan. You had Kobe Bryant. <sighs> the evolution of the slasher. Okay. Hey. So this- I, I love them flashes, bro. So this is how I see my sports. Okay. Okay. I know that, you know, in Philadelphia, it's a trade narrative. Mm. You know, um, like when I cover Andre Iguodala, the the, the city was looking at him as he was the number one option. Yeah. Yeah. Third option. All you had to do was put the first and second options around him. Philadelphia ran Andre Iguodala out of this town. I remember covering games because he was missing a lot of foul shots, especially late. Yeah. You know, so yep. some people are enigmas. They're affected by the crowd. You know, they're affected by different things. If you miss a couple of foul shots, all of a sudden the fans are getting on you and forgetting about the 98 other percent of your game. Okay, it's going to affect you. Now, I told the city to not trade Andre Iguodala. First of all, when they traded him, he went to he went to I think he went to Denver first. He then, did. Then he ended up on, on Golden State. Yep. Finals MVP, what yep. three time three time or four time champion. Okay. Instead of getting on the Sixers brass to surround Andre Iguodala with superior talent, they took it out on Andre Iguodala. Instead of getting on the Sixers brass for not drafting Ben Simmons, they took it out on Ben Simmons. All you got to do is do the research. You don't have to rely on guys like me. We're going to give you the full story. Do your research. Wonder why these things are happening to these specific players. 
the whole thing about Jimmy Butler saying that you know it was about him and Ben Simmons when it was more about him and Tobias Harris. Mm. You know, find out why that is. First of all, Ben Simmons, the 22, 23, 24-year-old kid, is his life fully developed? Nope. We got 60, 50, 60, 45, 35 age people getting on a kid who's still developing. Thanks. I, I did say the same shit. I did say the same shit. You know, I'm like, no, listen, let, let that thing should have been allowed to play out. That one game ended up defining Ben Simmons. Damn, that's so true, though. That is so true. That one moment. All right, I got I got another rebuttal, but it's not as hard as it was before because you shut me the fuck up for real. You really did. God damn. Again, I have countless of arguments about Ben Simmons, and not just arguments, debates. But you really shut me up with that. This is just this is just more this this is more of your thought more than a rebuttal. Your thoughts. So you all right? That that dunk is what defined Ben Simmons. But let me ask you this. This is like when I be telling my son, I say, son, it's not that one little mistake that you did. I'm not always on your case about every little mistake. It's about how you make this mistake, why you made that mistake. What were you thinking about? What Ben Simmons was, right, to Philly, again, I'm, take, take the, if you can, take the, rider, take the rider out of you. With Ben Simmons, it was this. We're like you say. We're always getting on the case about shooting the three. Okay, you can you. That's not your game. But if you're open and you don't take the shot, and they back away from you, now the defense is falling away from you. And now they're playing the lane. Now they're watching. Now they're playing the passing lane. Now they're double teaming because they know you're not going to shoot, and that messes up the offense. So when we see. Once so, so once it messes up the offense and we lose his games, we lose games, or we have bad possessions, turnover, whatever the case may be, all because you did not shoot the ball. That's why it becomes a problem. Hold on, Giannis, perfect example. He, Westbrook, right? Westbrook, perfect example. They call him Westbrook. They can't shoot, but they will shoot the ball. Ben Simmons does not shoot, at least shoot the ball. So when he don't shoot, when he when he passes up shots, and now he passes up a dunk, now it's like the icing on the cake. All right, now I'm done with you now, bro. All right, you, we all know you can play defense. We all know you're athlete. You're this and you're that. But when we're when, when we're losing games, losing possessions because you're literally not shooting the ball, you're not even attempting to, and now you're passing up a dunk, I'm done with you, bro. Yo, so... So what was the last time the Sixers won a championship? Eighty-three. So why the fuck are Sixers fans? <laughs> why the fuck are Sixers fans so entitled? Okay, to think they deserve a winner when it hasn't been done since nineteen eighty-three. Because so, we tank for a reason. So 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 here's the, here's the thing. Here's the thing. The, the the Sixers have made some horrible personnel decisions. I think that the James Harden trade will go down as one of the worst in Philadelphia history. Oh! Okay? The Sixers traded away Will Chamberlain. 
Yeah. They traded away Charles Barkley. They yeah. traded away Moses Malone. Yeah. They traded away Allen Iverson. Yeah. Averaging 37 points a game at that trade. Okay? So, listen. What the, the point that I'm trying to make to you is you have to look at the total scope of things. Absolutely. You have to look at the front office, the ownership, Yep. The yep. coaching on down. You cannot just look at the players on the court, even though they are expected to perform. They yep. also have to be prepared. There also has to be the makeup of the team. That one possession, it wasn't the it wasn't the missed dunk. The Sixers fell off of the face of the earth, in my opinion. When Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons chased down Kawhi Leonard, and he made that oh shot. man, bro, why you gotta bring that up? Yo, dude, that ball hit the rim four times. Yeah, man, and he traveled. And he traveled. So if you remember that play, now you also you had six ten do and a seven yes. footer yes. chase down Kawhi. Yes. I, think that it was a again an imperfect storm that right. both of them to distract each other because they both met at that one particular spot on the floor mm-hmm. where they were trying to block the shot mm-hmm. okay if either one of them would not have been there that shot maybe have been blocked okay Ooh. After that moment, you got to remember, you know, so me being in the locker room, the one of the biggest leaders on the Sixers wasn't Jimmy Butler. It was J.J. Redick. That is true. That is definitely true. J.J. Redick would take both Embiid and Simmons aside. I got YouTube clips of me talking to J.J. Redick about this, where he would take them aside and challenge them to do certain things on the floor based on his experience, not from being an NBA player, but from being one of the best college players of all time and catching the heat from the world because he played at Duke. I remember that. I remember that. They went, bro, they sent him death threats, bro. It was crazy. So, I, th- I think I think one of, I think a house was burnt, was, was on fire, or something like that was on fire, man. Like, JJ was crazy on Duke. Yeah, he, I mean, he he, he he was crazy. And I remember, so the, one of the perks of being an NBA reporter in the playoffs is when a closeout game happens, the teams, they stick around. Mm-hmm. And you're able to talk to them more. There are other playoff games going on, and, and you're, you're in the locker room watching playoff games with NBA players and getting their perspectives of those games. Okay. You know, talking to J.J. Reddick and him telling me um, uh, about his, you know, the effect of him playing at Duke and the effect of him coming to the league and not really having a career he was expected to have based on, yeah. you know, his statistics and what he did at Duke. You know, um, it, it's one of the, the, the best times I had in the locker room was able to talk to a guy as he's looking at the TV, you're throwing questions off of him, you know, and and he's able to 
you know, basically soften himself to get into the conversation, almost forget there's a conversation. One of the one of the things about me that athletes dig is they forget that it's an interview. Yeah. They see it as a conversation. I'm not asking a question or a directive based on an editor or a publisher. I'm just going off the cuff. And they really appreciated that. So yeah. the thing about me and Ben Simmons is this. I, I'm not I'm not I'm not blaming Philadelphia. Don't don't get that twisted. But what I'm saying is his pushback to Philly's pushback probably ruined a Hall of Fame career. He was on track to be a Hall of Famer. If you remember was it the second year he was all NBA, so was second team all NBA? Yeah, he was. Yeah, I mean, come on. Like that does not happen. Rookie of the year, second team all NBA. He should have won defensive player of the year. But I got to ask you, all right, this is my last thing about that. Okay. What do you say when you got someone like Ben Simmons that does not shoot threes, he does not shoot middies? You go get a And play- he's open and he does not take the shot. You go get a play- But then you got someone like Westbrook and like Giannis when they will take the shot. You don't think Philly is yes, I'm because this this is the word that we've been using. You don't think Philly is entitled to be upset? At least attempt yo, the jump shot? No, so did did the Sixers get out of second round this year? No. Was that Ben Simmons' fault? When when they didn't get out of the second round when Ben Simmons was on was on his team, if you remember, the Sixers sucked before Ben Simmons and Embiid got on this team. They was tanking. That's why. Okay. So okay, but when so you get these two players on the team, and you build something, you build a playoff team, and expect these dudes to win a championship when they in their early twenties. Yeah. Okay, that's the bullshit that I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. You should not expect them to play well. But yo, you understand? Michael Jordan went out to it was twenty eight. LeBron James the same thing. Yeah. Why in the hell are we expecting our athletes to do something no one else does? Kobe Bryant, Allen Iverson, uh, 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 uh Durant. You know, one of the few players who did it early on was Tim Duncan, and he had oh, yeah. behind him. He had a David Robertson. He. Yeah. Had a Greg Popovich, okay? You don't see guys in their early 20s win NBA championships. Where they go is the second round and they die. Uh-huh. For next year. Okay? And then they grow. I call them shoulder chips. Not chips on the shoulder, shoulder chips. They get these shoulder chips, and that's when they finally break through. We have to stop this bullshit in Philadelphia. Of being entitled to win a championship when the pieces just aren't developed yet. And by the way, I, if, if if I cut you off asking that last question, I apologize. My phone was on mute, so if, yeah, no. But I'm just saying, I, my phone. I, I I put my phone on mute by mistake, so I don't know if he was talking and I overtalked you. So if he was talking, I apologize for that. I ain't know. Good, good. 
the point is this, man, because what I you gotta understand, you know, for for me walking into the first time I walked into a Sixers locker room, I was doing a story on Chris Paul for Slam, mm-hmm. and this was when he was with New Orleans. He's maybe two years into the league. So the book that he has out coming right now is called 61. Okay. He told me the story of his grandfather dying at age 61 and him scoring 61 that last high school game. Okay. Um. So what what I'm trying to tell you is this. I go after the stories that don't become popular until almost 10 years later. Like 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 the Chappelle show. Right. So that that is that is the reason why I think I both get myself in trouble and the fact that people misunderstand me. Because maybe they think I have some type of agenda. I don't know. But the, the what I tell them is this what I'm asking the players, you're going to actually know later on when some white dude on ESPN says it. I already said it. When I was telling people about Jalen Hurts, I was like, yo, look, this dude's going to be a beast. What is wrong with y'all? What are y'all seeing that you don't understand that this guy is not going to be a great quarterback? Like, I don't understand what was going on. The problem in the NFL, especially with black quarterbacks, is they want them to be a one-man show. They never put receivers around them. The only black quarterback who came into the league with a talented receiver core was Dante Culpepper. We had Randy Moore. Yes, Randy Moore. Chris Carter. A couple years later, they broke that shit up. Steve Smith, uh, Cam Newton. Cam Newton comes to the league, goes for 4,000 yards, the first player to do it. They ripped Steve Smith away from him and trade him to, to Baltimore. DeAndre Hopkins with Deshaun Watson. Same thing. Jalen Hurts, the only reason why the Sixers had and the Eagles had a great season last year is because him and A.J. Brown were friends. If him and A.J. Brown were, weren't friends, A.J. Brown would not have been here. And you're going to see the same thing with Jalen Hurts that you see with Lamar Jackson, that you see with Michael Vick, you see with Randall Cunningham, you see with a lot of these dudes. Now, I think they respect our talent because they put us in a position to be those one-man show. But they don't want to give us the full talent for us to explode and win championships a la Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, mm-hmm. or whoever else. Mm-hmm. We, they Aaron Rodgers. They give more respect to Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers got one championship. Right, bro. They talking about him like he got like five or six. He got one because right. – Talking about him because they know the takeover is here. Now, since we now, I'm, 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 I'm this is a this is an amazing segue to uh, to NFL. Um, I, for some reason, bro, I know you're I know you're unfiltered. You've been unfiltered before it became popular. Like, um, I, I want to say, well, well, hold on, hold on, I'm, I'm thinking too fast. I want to I want to end off on on on, on with, with NBA with when you said you speak on shit that they don't get till ten years from now. I called you Dave Chappelle because Dave Chappelle was ahead of his time. Shit that he talked about back then on the Chappelle Show is relevant now. Yeah. So that's why I compared you to the Chappelle Show. 
Um, so to get so so to get to the NFL, tell me about. Oh, oh, hold on. All right, so I feel like you are not. I feel like you're not. I feel like you're being 90, 95% thorough. I feel like you don't want to offend certain people because you know why Jalen Hurst is getting, is getting the hate that he gets. You know why. Well, see, well, see here's the thing. So <laughs> it's not that, it's not that I, I'm, I'm being 95%. It's that I have already said that. Like, okay, okay. Thousand times. I, I wrote, I wrote a, on a 35 called Black, the Black Quarterback. Change the narrative. The, so you're hearing now. Everybody say change the narrative. Facts, bro. To say that. Fifteen years ago. Oh uh, no! <laughs> all, all of the major sports writers in the world, they know in the country, they know I was the first to say change the narrative. Jamel Hill told me to put it on the shirt. I wish I did. You know. Stupid so, rich off of that. Yeah. Shit, I shit, one of my podcasts is called Switch the Narrative. Right. So that's the that that's really the thing. So I have said many times over about how racism has affected black men. I use the black quarterback as the metaphor. I've said that so many times. Yo, what's going on? Why y'all holding these black dudes back? It, this just goes back to Marlon Briscoe. James Harris, yeah. Moon. You know what I'm saying? Guys mm-hmm. in college, Major Harris. Mm-hmm. Um, so many. Like, why didn't Lamar Jackson win two straight Heisman trophies? Mm-hmm. Why wasn't he the number one pick in the draft? How come he didn't fall to 18? Baker Mayfield goes first because you know why, bro. Of course. <laughs> so the the problem is this. When I speak this right here in racial uh-huh. terms, you know uh-huh. who the first person is usually on my post who's critical of me saying that? Oh, God. A black man. Yeah. Oh, my goodness, bro. Holy shit, bro. We. Every Let me time calm myself down. It is hurtful. It is, it is caustic and toxic to my soul. It is so disappointing and depressing. Now we know why both most of these slave rebellions did not happen. Because you know who killed them? Black people. Opening their mouths. Why is this black man trying to get, make us free? We Masters treat us good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's... Man. I said all of this. like I, When I first came out... You know, um, and the reason why I probably shot up the ladder so quickly in terms of a national exposure is because I was so raw and unfiltered, like you said, mm. exactly what I felt. Like, I'm 55 years old. I'm a grandfather now. Mm-hmm. I've said all these things. I've said them all so multiple, so many multiple times. People, The people who follow me back then understand exactly what I'm saying. When I'm critical of people critical of Jalen Hurts, they know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But the new generation does not. So they see mm-hmm. me saying things on a superficial level. I've already said though. Like I, I it, it it becomes exhausting to be so repetitive. Most black people can't even 
can't even name uh, five black writers from the 60s or 70s or the 80s. Mm. Mm. I bet you they can name some white ones. <laughs> the, o- the only one the only one that I know is Craig Sager as far as the white ones. Yeah, I mean, you know, there, there's like, so, so the, the, the biggest hit piece on my site when it was online was an interview, it was a three-hour interview with Skip Bayless. Mm. Okay, Skip Bayless gave me the blueprint of what he is right now, back in the last decade. The interview went viral because he spoke about the possibility of Troy Aikman being gay. Mm. People came after him for that, but they they linked to my interview. That that easily got a million hits by itself. You know, so I when I interview someone, like I said, I let them talk. You're, you're allowing me to talk. You're doing the interview the right way. You ask a question, you let me go off on what I need to say. The, the problem is with these interviews now from these major outlets, they're trying to craft the interviews to where you don't get the context of what an athlete is truly feeling when he's being asked a question. Instead, you're getting the cookie-cutter model um, to basically fuel and fill um, what the viewership of fans are wanting to read. Like, I, I don't I don't give fans the full information. I want you to go to the internet and research something that I may say. Mm, right. It's not that I don't dig you. Like, I don't want you to know the information. I want you to be a perpetual learner like I am. To continue to learn. I'm, you ain't, I ain't your fucking slave. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm not going to give you exactly what you want. Motherfucker, this ain't dinner. <laughs> you know, fucking waiter nah you, you're going to do the work yourself just like I have done the work if you are able to read stop looking at Playboy and read the damn stories <laughs> look at the damn you know, like, I, can't, I, I can't get with that like it's, you know I got, I got kids I'm trying to make them learn help them to learn more about life I'm not here to let you to, to you're sitting in a doctor's office and I'm going to hand you the magazine you're going to read before you go in there with your legs crossed, you turn the pages and shit, reading different things. Mm-hmm. No, not that dude. And I won't continue to be that dude. If you ask me the right thing and if I feel like in a moment I, I might tell you the full story. You're, I'm telling you the full stories of stuff. You know what I'm saying? But if, really if, appreciate you. If you gonna come across as entitled, whatever, I'm not giving you shit. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. That's how it is. You know. But um, what's your question about f- football again? What's so. Oh, oh man, bro. I got, I got, I got a woosah, man. Yo, you, you in your bag? I love it, man. So I want to warn you. Now, but obviously this is up to you. I, I told you I got I got time today because so now I want to speak on football, right? Your experience, question, basically the same thing that we've done 
with basketball. Do you want to continue this or do you want to do this another time? Because I got time. It's up to you. Um, uh, we could we could touch on maybe one or two things, but okay. I, would, I would love to come back on and really expound on just football. Hell yeah, yeah, we could do that. Do that in person, or we could do this spaces. Cause man, there's so much of this. I love your insight, bro. I love your insight. Um, I, I love what you're bringing to me, man. All right, one or two things. Okay, well, look, I'm gonna piggyback off of um, Jalen Hurts, AJ Brown. You're right. You are 100 percent right. They would. They we we the Eagles would not be as nasty as we were. If it wasn't for the chemistry that A.J. Brown and Jalen Hurts already have. But two things can be true. Because the because what they say is the re- only reason why we was this nice is because we had the weakest schedule. So two things can be true with that. Do you agree with that as well? Our schedule and the chemistry with A.J. Brown and Jalen Hurts? I mean, I, I, of course there's going to be a perfect storm. The, the Eagles were in a perfect storm. But people have to understand this about Jalen Hurts. You are on Alabama. You lose to the yep, show yep. on the last play of the game. Ah. Okay? And, and, and so so it, it, we're going to another thing. Deshaun Watson in two in consecutive years won and lost against Alabama in a national championship game. Okay. When he did so, he I think it was what nine hundred yards and five touchdowns, or maybe six, and, and and both of those games with no interceptions. But yet they picked Trubisky over him. Uh-huh. The reason why they said it is because Deshaun Watson was turnover prone. Right. If you look at his statistics, Trubisky in fourteen games. Played less and had more interceptions than Deshaun Watson. Okay, so Deshaun Watson again should have been a number one pick mm-hmm. based on him playing against one of the top defenses and programs in, in sports history in Alabama. Right now, that they're falling off a little bit, but with Nick Saban, what he did in the last ten or ten years. It's something ridiculous. Clemson and Georgia are, 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 you know, catching up a little bit. Okay? So, Jalen Hurts loses that first one. You know, obviously, in the last one, Tua comes in and wins the championship. He's benched at halftime. And it's very humble and gracious that his teammate won the championship. He ain't sulk. Uh He ain't touch nobody out. Uh What he was doing was based on his father, who was also a high school football. I was just about to say that. Yep, yep. Okay? He was prepared for the moment. Like mm-hmm. I said earlier, chance favors the prepared mind. So as his father was coaching his high school, little Jalen, four or five years old, was on the sideline playing with his toys. But yeah. taking it all in. Yeah. Okay. Conversations home from those practices. He probably talking to his son about the nuances of the game, not the X's and O's, but the nuances. Okay, so after being benched, he transfers. Tua is his squad now. 
So he goes to Oklahoma and Lincoln, what, Lincoln Kennedy, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He implements a passing acumen for Jalen Hurts to where he's throwing for 4,000 yards. Nobody thought he could do that. Everybody was like, this is a running quarterback. Yeah. In the game that they lost that year, that knocked him out of Heisman Trophy consideration, Jalen Hurts threw for 495 yards, five touchdowns, and no interceptions. His defense lost the game. That's when I said, yo, this is some bullshit. Mm-hmm. Because Joe Burrow had a miraculous year. He had a miraculous team at LSU, one of the best teams ever. There's a lot of players on that team that are in the NFL now and starring. One of them being his receiver in Jamar Chase, right? You know? Yeah. So, Dylan Hurst does this and performs admirably in the passing game, yet falls to the second round. The Eagles had to pick him. And what I told everybody is this. Wherever Jalen Hurts will go, no matter who the player is in front of him, he's going to be the guy because his father taught him to be a leader. There was an interview with he did with ESPN. I think it was Ivan Menzel. I may be wrong about who conducted the interview. It was before he went to Oklahoma. I said, yo, I want that dude to be my quarterback no matter where I am. Based on that interview. Now, if we like I was talking earlier about, you know, uh, Lamar Jackson should have won two Heismans. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So everybody before Jalen Hurts won the Heisman at Oklahoma. Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield. Okay. This guy comes and, and passes for more yards, more touchdowns than both of them. But yet you loses the Heisman, if you want to say loses, to Joe Burrow. All of a sudden you start hearing Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow. Just like what was with Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence. They weren't talking about the kid from Ohio State, Justin Fields. So now he's doing what he's doing. He was he was a next quarterback coming for a thousand yards. Okay, now we're gonna start hearing Justin Fields' name. But Justin Fields can do everything that Trevor Lawrence can do. Jalen Hurst can do everything that Joe Burrow can do. But the names come before these black kids, right? And you see the rankings before the season where they're ranked higher. Like they have right now, they have Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen. Even right now, even after what Jalen Hurts did, even after what Lamar Jackson has done essentially by himself, they got him way down the list. Everybody's saying that that Lamar Jackson got his weapons now. Odell Beckham is old as shit coming off of torn ACL. <laughs> and yet y'all think that this brother now has enough. Okay, he got enough now. <laughs> Rashad Bateman is good. He's going to be great. He has a great tight end. Man, please, fill that brother's roster with receiving talent that can separate 
on third down, on fourth down, and late in the fourth quarter. That's what makes these dudes great. The receiving separation when the moment matters. If you don't have that, you will not win. Devontae Smith is a beast. I think that he is going to have to, you know, work a little bit harder to get more more balls his way. Because you can see that he was a little bit pissed off that A.J. Brown kind of took away his shot. You can see that way in the beginning of the season, bro. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's unfortunate. But what it's going to make him do if he's a great player who's going to be a fame player, he's just going to have to work harder. Both of them can coexist. So what you're going to hear this year, I'm going to tell you before it happens. And next, When it happens, we can talk about it. They're going to try okay. to say, this dude, yo, what's going on with you, Devontae? Are you getting enough balls? Are you mad that A.J. Brown is getting more targets than you? You're going to start to hear these questions. Trust me. Okay? Now that the Eagles have done something and stepped up and been taking it to the next level, these are the questions that's going to come that, that Joe Burrow is not going to get, that Josh Allen is not going to get. They come in this way. They still go after Lamar. They definitely go after Deshaun Washington in Cleveland. Oh, that's another conversation. Another conversation. So, you know, I look at this in a way that, first of all, I ain't no dumb motherfucker. <laughs> okay, if I see something that is off kilter, if I see how you talk about one quarterback and you don't talk the same about another quarterback, I'm going to call you out on that shit. Like, oh, oh man, let's go, baby. Let's go. I love it. There's a lot of times where Michael Vick was playing where they were bring up the dogs. You know what I'm saying? Right. But when Ben Roethlisberger played, they never Thank you. I know what you're about to say. I know what you're about to say. This is the shit that I be talking about. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, bro. Go ahead. So, go ahead. Yeah. And, I, and so Because I, I would see on their ticker, back on ESPN.com, it was the most popular. The, the, the thing was, it was talking about Barry Bonds, Terrell Owens, Ron Test. And, negative oh and I'm like, hold on. Why are y'all doing this? But I don't see Ben Roethlisberger. Ben Roethlisberger. Right, I don't see none of that. And the 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 EIC at the time did not give me an answer. He didn't want to tell me an answer. He was a good dude. He didn't want to tell me an answer. He was black. I had interviewed him because I, at the time, man, I was interviewing publishers, like I said, uh, journalists, editors, whatever I could do to try to get a foothold into the business. Now, I was very upset that I could not see the same criticism for white athletes as I was seeing for black superstars. And I'm like, yo, y'all not going to do this on my watch for me not calling it out. I'm sorry. And that being, uh, that unapologetic rawness, whatever you want to call it, is what gained me respect. They know I ain't no coon. They know that I'm not going to say, okay, master, you go ahead and tell the stat that they need to know. 
I'm not going to be the dude. I'm going to tell you exactly what I feel. These motherfuckers know. They're not going to put me on a panel with them and it's because they know I'm going to call their bullshit. If they put me up there, they're going to have to step their game up because I'm not going to fall in line to a journalism measure. So when I see uh, uh, Lamar Jackson being spoke about a certain way, you know, Cam Newton, you know, this and that, you know, I, I'm 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 going to call it out, man. Like the stuff that happened with Cam was it was egregious. After that four thousand yard season, people started to be very critical of him, as if he was a thirty year old dude. That's what uh-huh. when you're talking about your bull saying. You know, um, about Maxie being thirty-three years. Like, yeah, who, who are you comparing him to? Oh. <laughs> like Michael Jordan did not win until he got Scottie Pippen. You know, so you know, I'm not understanding why people are so critical. Uh, I know why, and we, we we spoke about that. You know, but when you don't call it out, when black men in particular fall in the same line like if I hear another motherfucking conversation about LeBron James and Michael Jordan like this is the craziest thing to me it's the craziest most stupidest irrelevant thing ever Michael Jordan ain't played in the NBA since 1998 (laughs) you know what I'm saying oh he ain't Mike he ain't Mike did they say Larry Bird ain't Bill Russell? <laughs> oh, my Lord. Championships? <laughs> LeBron James went to 10 straight NBA Finals with different teams. Does whatever he can for the community. I was in Akron at his mm-hmm. life prize and saw him with hundreds of people behind him and bikes that he gave them drive ride their bikes at his house where he would speak to them after that. Yo, that mm. is measurable how that's going to affect those kids in the future. Absolutely. He's doing all of that and going to 10 straight NBA finals. No one in the league right now can hold LeBron's job in terms of <laughs> a total measure. Steph Curry can't. Kevin Durant can't. Kawhi Leonard can't. You don't hear what they do off the floor as much what he does both True. off the floor and off the floor. And True. being the first social media superstar, okay, he catches way more wreck than any of them combined. So when we talk about black quarterbacks, I call it bonus ball. Instead of throwing the ball away on third down, they run for the first down. At the time of when he was in the league, Colin Kaepernick was the third, was the had the highest third down efficiency rating in the history of the league. The highest. But that's not what you hear, do it? Do you? Nah. You don't <laughs> hear those things. These people know that they cannot turn off the faucet any longer. You said the, the, the Anthony Richardson is going to be a beat. Anthony Richardson is the second coming to Cam. You got CJ Stroud, 
know what I'm saying? You got uh, um, uh, the brother from Alabama. You know what I'm saying? Um, you had three quarterbacks that's coming into the league that's going to change how we look at the black quarterback. <clears throat> and this is when you still got the showing. Russell, Russell Wilson. You got Jalen Hurts. You know what I'm saying? You got Lamar. You got all these dudes still in the league with these young boys is coming up. Justin Fields. What they, Justin Fields, right. So what they're going to do is create more black quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. I always tell everybody this. When small forwards and powers forwards begin to play quarterback, it's a wrap. <laughs> Physically, they will be down. If they have the ability to have a certain skill set, it is over. It is over. Because like Cam, he's bigger than Chandler Jones, who was defensive end trying to chase him around. Right. Okay? So you're not only going to have those big dudes, but you're going to have young dudes who are inspired by them. Right. But you're going to have guys like me who are going to support them immediately instead of having questions about their ability and if they can do it. That's what we need out of black male writers in particular. Don't say, oh, can he do it? Just let him play, and you'll see that he will do it. Yeah. One thing about it is these dudes are going to have so much suspicion about them that it begins to affect their psyche. That's the reason why I come full force with them. I will battle a billion men about the legacies of black athletes. <laughs> I love it. That's like that's like <clears throat> now listen, but when I when I when I say when I tell you this freeze, right? It's 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 on the same line of what you're saying, but you got but you gotta understand this is before the pause era, before the no homo era. I'm I'm gonna explain to you what you just said. Matter of fact, what Say say that last phrase that you said. You will battle what again? A billion men over the legacy of black men. And now, like I said to you before about wrestling, a big wrestling fan, there was a weight that was back in your era. Um, ah, ah, my my drilling is, is running right now, so I'm I'm not able to think about the top of my head. But I do know the person. It was a phrase. He said, "I will. I rather fight a man than make love to a woman." Now it's not what you think. It's yeah. not how it sounds. Is the, the 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 phrase is, "I will battle anybody." Yes, anybody. that's what he means. That's really that's really what the phrase meant. I will fight anyone. That's my heart. That's my passion. Before I'll lay down and I'll just get it on with a woman. That's pleasure to me. That's light right. to me. I can do that on. I can do that on a regular basis. Yes, that's what that meant. That's why I had to say that. So it's like when you said that shit, that's what that reminded me of. <laughs> it's, it's where you have to be. Like I, I want to be remembered. I don't want to be remembered on a pop culture level because that's going to fade. I want to be remembered as a historian who wrote it all, who challenged both journalists, athletes, and fans, and front offices. Mm-hmm. Most of the notoriety that I got was when I wrote a, 
during the lockout, I wrote a piece called uh, Kobe Bryant, Derrick Rose, and LeBron James Create the MPA, where I had a, a new league um, concept where I took three players, three superstars who put in $10 million each and had a draft in Vegas to draft 54 players out of the NBA to create their own league. When Carmelo Anthony and Amari Stoudemire talked about this league piece, the next day the lockout ended. Mm. You had ESPN calling me all kinds of shit in their Tim Tebow issue when someone of the on their staff wrote about what I said. Huffington Post, Newsday, Fox, Yahoo, all of them spoke about my league piece. Some of them were respectful. Well, one of them, Huffington Post, they copy and pasted my whole piece. I was trying to challenge the players to understand their worth. What people don't understand during lockout is there's oh, what two hundred countries that that you know have relation with the NBA. All of that money was not on the American books. So the players were negotiating what they call a basketball-related income mm. here in America. So at the time, Luel Dang and Dirk Nowitzki and all them dudes could not get money off of their jersey sales in their own country. Mm. Okay? So when I when I was writing about this, and I was, te- I was like, what did you expect? Did y'all think that... The, the NBA was just making money here domestically. <laughs> you know how many how many Americans can fit in the continent of Africa? Right. The world is so huge because of the dream team and the, the teams, uh, what sixty four Olympic team as well. The the world knows about American basketball. And they want to play it because they want to they want to be the glamour, the shine. They want to be in the show. So that's why you're seeing Jokic and MBs and Giannis's and, and Doncic's and all these dudes sprout up to be the best because they know that that's what they want to be. They, they've been watching this since they've been a little kid. But you have to have the right writers write it. You have to have the right people speak on it. It does not have just to be about the performances, about the money. It has to be about the history of the league. Like, a lot of people have Will Chamberlain out of the top 10. That's that's fucking ridiculous to me. This dude averaged 50 points and 25 rebounds. And one well, well, hold on, hold on. But you know why? You know why it's ridiculous to you? Because it was no comp. Everyone that he went against was five, 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 seven white guys. So of course he can run over. This is not what I say. This is what they say. That's yeah. That's what they say, and they don't know that if he had to play uh, Bill Russell eighteen times a season, Bob Lanier, you know what I'm saying? Al Adels, you know what I'm saying Walt Bellamy, Willis Reed. You know what I'm saying? All these dudes 18 times a season. He wasn't just playing little white dudes. But see, like I said, if you don't have black writers writing it, of course that's what they're going to say. 
Because first of all, they could not believe that a seven foot dude could, could compete in a one hundred, the high jump, play uh, uh, um, volleyball and all kinds of other mm-hmm. at a top level, and also drag anybody that's on his back to the to the basket. But people also understand that Will Chamberlain dunked from the foul line on foul shots. Did you know that? No, I did not know that, bro. <laughs> I did not know that. So instead of shooting the free throws, he would he would run and dunk from the foul line. They was like, nah, nigga. <laughs> you, <that>. you cheating. <laughs> so, you know. It, it, just imagine the the more points that he would have had. Like he averaged, I think Michael is thirty two all time, and Wilt is thirty point one. After the seventh season, Wilt stopped scoring the basket, so he was averaging forty five points in the, up until that seventh season. A game for his career, okay. Once he started to say, okay, everybody's being critical of me, and they're seeing that I'm dominating this and that, he started to be more of an assist guy, more of a a, um, a role player. You know what I'm saying? So it, it, it changed the way we look at him because he sacrificed for the betterment of his team and his game. You know, it, it's 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 a, it's really a shame. Like I wish I was alive back then to really write about Wilt. Now, there's a guy here named Harvey Pollack who passed away the day I was going to interview him. Mm-hmm. Pollack was one of the last people to be at that 100 point game. He was a 50 year statistician for the NBA. He would walk around the, the Philadelphia arena, and I'm like, who is that old guy? Who is he? I finally said, I finally just struck up a conversation. He would call me, sir. I would strike up a conversation with him, and he would tell me who he was. He gave me this nine-minute interview um, at the stadium where he told me that uh, he was really the first dude to be the advanced stat dude. Okay. Will Chamberlain called him one day and said, yo, Michael Jordan can't make a shot outside of 14 feet. So what Harvey Pollack did was track all of these shot attempts to see if Wilt was right. And he found that Wilt was right. The thing about it, he had compiled all of this information based on facts like that. And he put them on the back of his car. His car was stolen. When his car was recovered, none of those stats were in the car. Damn. Okay. Damn. Pain sports. It would have changed how we look at sports. Now, I said, Mr. Pollock, please let me interview you for like two hours, three hours. And we were setting it up. Um, you know, I, I called into his office, you know, up, up on top of the, the, the was at the time, the Wachovia or First Union Center, whatever. Yeah. And they told me that he died. You know what I'm saying? So when play, when people like that die, so does the information. It's the reason why I want black writers in particular to look outside of the 24-hour news cycle, to look outside of LeBron versus Mike, Kobe versus Mike, whatever you want to say, 
you know, um, because if you do that, then you will understand the history of sports and how it evolves through time. You know, uh, Will Chamberlain, the reason why he was such a beast is because he could run, he could touch the top of the backboard. You can see mm-hmm. all the where he does that. And he was benching 600 pounds. Shit. Okay? So, Shaq never benched 500 pounds. Mm. So, everybody's trying to call Shaq the most. Even Shaq says it now. There, there's also a, a commercial um, that Shaq did in 1992 when he came in, Don't Fake the Funk on his Nasty Don't, where he had <laughs> Bill Walton... Uh, Bill Russell, um, Bob Lanier, and Wilt. And Wilt, in the outtakes of this commercial, when they were just sitting around talking, was punking Shaq. Okay? Telling Shaq, yo, you ain't ready for all this. It was a rite of passage. He wasn't very being overly critical of Shaq. He's like, yo, dude, this is what I did. Now, yeah. people don't want to respect what I did. That's on them. But it is on the record books. Like Sonny Hill told me, he said, Oscar Robinson told him one day, the record books do not lie. So all of that there is Will. Now, we don't have the footage of it, but we have what he did statistically. If you look back on, um, especially at 1961-1962 season, where he averaged at 50 and 25. They gave the MVP to Bill Russell, who averaged 30, no, I'm sorry, averaged 17 points and 27 rebounds. Mm-hmm. Elson Baylor was 30 20. Uh, Oscar Robertson averaged a triple double with 30 points. Walt Bellamy, as a rookie, averaged 30 and 18. But you're going to give the MVP? To the Boston Celtics, who at the time was America's team. Yeah. As much as Bill Russell did not like what was going on up there racially. Of course. He still played for the Boston Celtics. Mm-hmm. So to give the game to the people who were paying for it, they're going to make Bill Russell the MVP over a guy averaged 50 points a game. When I would talk to like Jason Kidd and um, uh, Dirk Nowitzki, because every year, March third, if the game was run at the Sixers, you know, celebrate what Will Chamberlain did. It's a, they they were giving out like part of the uh, the Hershey uh, Arena floor. Sometimes, when I asked Dirk and Jason Kidd, did they know that Will didn't win MVP? They were shocked. They were just totally shocked. You know, so. The first question that the NBA players say, and this was last decade, I don't know what they say now, but the first question I want to say, well, he didn't play against nobody. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Wait, 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 wait. You're talking about Will, right? I'm talking about Will. Now, yeah, my, yeah, yeah. That, that, that is, that's, the first, that's the first thing they say even now. Right. So my, my rebuttal to that is, how come nobody else did it then? Mm. That's my first rebuttal. And it shuts people up. It shuts them up because they saying, "Okay, like, well, before the turn of the century, ESPN had this thing called Sports Century, where you know they counted down the top maybe hundred or I don't know if it was twenty five athletes of all time." Yeah, what was in that top three at the time? 
You know, this is a, this is year two thousand. You know, um, I, I would say that he would be way down the list now because these people yeah. understand his prominence. So it is, it is what it is, man. But again, it's going to take guys like me, and I'm not alone. There's many other guys out there like me. You know, we don't get to shine. Wayne Stephen A. Smith, who I've interviewed many times. You know, we aren't um, Skip Bayless, you know, Shannon Sharp. We aren't these dudes, you know what I'm saying? But we still have this same exact talent, or even more so. Like, and I'm now going to tell you straight up. There are few sports writers in America that can write like me. I'm talking about actual writing. I'm not saying I'm the best, but I'm up there. And when you come with uh, a respect for history, now you know why I ain't on ESPN. I would blow up the spot. Well, here's my thing, and I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna say these last few things, and I'm gonna put I'm I'm gonna put you on game. Yeah, I'm gonna put you on game. We understand now, because of the information, the times that we live in, we all we we know, real real fans, real fans know. We all know how Stephen A. Like you said, Shannon Sharp. Now that Shannon Sharp left, by do Lashawn McCoy, Skip Bayless, all all of these mid mid tier basketball players as coaches or mid tier to the, the, whatever that's. Arguably, like, like, well, oh, that's, that's in a top analyst. Like, that's that's compared to the to the music industry. That's mainstream. But there's a lot of great artists that's on, on the independent level. Same thing with writer writers. We know, we know a lot of independent writers. They're able to speak more freely. No, they're not up there. But even the one that's up there, they still have to be filtered to a degree. Y'all don't have to be filtered. Y'all can give us the real shit. And don't have to worry about so much of a kickback compared to the mainstream because you know there's money involved and we're well, gonna lose your slot. Whatever the kick, the politics is basically what I'm trying to say. So y'all have more freedom, which why y'all more. I'm not, that's which why y'all are respectable. This is the era that we live in. It's the independent scene, the music scene. No one wants to. Not many people wants to get signed to a major record label because of the politics. We all know the game now. That's why independent is the wave. And that's and it's the same thing with podcasts. It's the same thing with you. You're a writer, independent writer. You had success. You 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 got you got you got you, you got plugged. You got pulled. But you're also you're not in there with the Woody Page and all that. But it that's not a bad thing because you're able to still speak your mind. And that's what we want. Speak your fucking mind. You're speaking your truth. Your speaking was real. Not just your mind, your speaking was real. And we don't like that cutie cutter shit. We don't like that babysitting shit. Tell us what's real. It took, like, but it took so long for that to happen. And, and God paid the way. That's where I'm going. That's why I'm praising you and your man Anthony Gilbert. People like that. I don't. I never heard of Anthony Gilbert until you. But I do know, like, and I'm not trying to cut you off. I'm just trying to give you your flowers from the, from what I know of you, from what I know of the independent writers. Like I said, CSN, because I wanted to be a journalist at one point. That was my passion. People used to call me in the hood, Mr. ESPN, because I used to cover, I used to watch everything, 
everything. But, you know, life happens and, you know what I mean? I, I just didn't have it in me as much as I wanted to. But I'm saying, that's why I said, you know, I think I seen you on TV a couple times interviewing AI because I was watching everything. You get what I'm saying? So there's people like me and there's a shit ton of people like me who seen people like you, who respects people like you. But it's you, the independent writers who has crazy success, who has met people that motherfuckers they dream of. It's now you're in the era, bro, where your voice is more is, is louder than what it was in your era. Yeah. It's up to you to bring that shit out there. And I want you to do that. It's up to you because I don't listen to I don't listen to too many podcasts. But if you if you drop the podcast, I will be listening to that shit. And that. I know many other motherfuckers would. Think about it. And I'm gonna end it off on this note. I'm not gonna go. I'm not trying to go on the rant. But think about it. Think about it. Kwame Brown, Joe Button. Come on, bro. They're not Michael Jordan and Drake. Yeah. But they got. They got. Arguably, the, or they got they got the top podcast though, mm-hmm. because of it's because of their it's because of their opinion, it's because of their content, and you are on the same level as far as your content, as far as your experience, you are no different from them. You actually probably got more. You probably got more plugged than them. To be honest with you, and I'm not just saying because you're here because of your experience, so you are no different. Talk your shit. The, the Talk thing, shit. The, 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 that's what I'm saying. The the wild thing about that is, I had a podcast for four years before a podcast become popular. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that time, you know, life happens. Um, you become weathered. You become yeah. frustrated. You become, yep, yep. you know, just tired. You know. Um, of saying things that should have been, it's almost like I was hollering at a wall. Yeah. So when people, like, when people ask me to be on, you know, their shows, I willingly come on. But, you yeah. know, as far as me having my own, like, I don't know if I got that in me anymore. You know what I'm saying it's, it, it's, it's, it's a lot to be as passionate as I am. Yeah. Um, and continue that over the course of, I've been doing this for 25 years. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, I don't have uh, a, a, big, a big backing capital where they're going to have interns, producers, all these type of things to take off some of, not pressure, you know, um, but just the responsibilities that make you high. Um, you know, it, it, it's always going to be something that I'm going to do. Um, and I'm not saying I'm giving up by any stretch. You know, I, I do want to be a prominent voice. And I'm glad that this era is happening because I'm posting stuff that I, you know, posted, you know, 10 years ago that might have one or two likes. That's now, you know, getting crazy yeah. likes and and. And not not going viral in a sense, but getting to that point where it could, if the right person put, you know. So you know, it, it's you know, it, it's still like I said, I, I'm a perpetual learner. I'm always going to learn. I'm always going to want to do the work to where I can educate people, and not educate in a preaching sense, but just to be like an offshoot 
and an alternative to that cookie cutter that you were speaking about. Yeah. I'm going to be that dude. People reach out to me all the time. Outlets reach out to me mm-hmm. to find certain athletes because they can't find them. You know, I, my network, I, if you tap into my network, it's ridiculous. <laughs> you know, I got over 1,500 numbers in my phone from, from coaches to athletes to publishers to you know, thinkers, Hollywood actresses, I ain't gonna say their names, but they up there. You know what I'm saying? So when people see me in pictures with some of these people, they're like, you know, how, how, how you do that? You know, but it's, it's just from networking, um, from being close to a lot of athletes who play in certain leagues. Like Chris Weber had this, uh, this thing called Bada Bling in Vegas for three years. And we had mm-hmm. celebrities. It was a soiree for charity. And he had everybody from Too Short pushing uh, Blow the Whistle um, to Little Mo, Isley Brothers, Nas, you know, Tina Marie, Gladys Knight. They would all be performing at these things. And you would have me walk into this, this thing before you even get into where you ate dinner. He would have a hundred foot um, display of, of prawns and lobster tails. Right? So then you go into the soiree, you got seven course meal and, you know, open bar and you're seeing like this electric performance on stage as you're eating dinner and you're sitting next to a major celebrities. Like, it, it was not even like B-list, like A-list celebrities. So yeah. what I did was I filled my phone up. So I know that I can call someone and do some story on them or interview them. I don't have to go into a locker room anymore. I'm glad that I finally got to that point. I do miss reporting. I don't miss the standing around and waiting for people to get dressed or, you know, sometimes you'll be ready for an interview and they would say, well, I can't do it now. And you'd be, your whole day would be trying to get to the arena to do this interview and so I can't do it. Like, I, I don't miss that part of it, um, but I, I do miss engaging with the young athletes or athletes in general um, to be able to get their story out the right way. Now, I, I warned the field in the last decade, if y'all keep talking shit about these athletes, they're going to push you away. They're going to create their own platforms. That's what they did. First, it was their uh, websites, then it was their blogs, then social media blew up. They don't have to talk to the media as much. And I think that the media is getting a little bit upset at that. The NBA, and I think Michelle Roberts, the past you know, um, union president, um, was trying to get athletes, uh, her, her athletes to the point where they didn't even talk in a locker room anymore. You know, so that's eventually, I think, is what's going to happen. You know, um, because of social media, the NBA is still going to make their money. Um, so you don't have to talk to athletes, especially the writers who don't never picked up a ball, who don't know what the hell they talking about, you know, who are frustrating these athletes tremendously. Um, if you don't know your shit, then you shouldn't be in there. But a lot of, the, a lot of these, these, these publishers are bringing in people who don't know anything because they, they can control them. 
you know, and they can control the narratives of these athletes based on a lack of experience or wherewithal with these writers who came from internships. They don't want to be historians. Man, listen, as far as networking and knowing people and how to get out there, I'm 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 a I'm gonna leave that out of the out of this and I'm gonna DM you because again, everything that you're saying, you're no different from again, as I said, Stephen A's, uh Skip Bayless, you know what I mean? As far as like you don't have to be a, 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 a Tom Brady, Tony Romo to get started or to, or, or, or to be out there. That's what I'm – all right, even Shannon Sharp. All right, and, and I mean this respectfully. Three, four-time Super Bowl winner, he was nice. But, you know, when the, in the NFL, they all got helmets. Unless, you're, uh, unless you are that nigga, you're not really known. Like, if you know football, you know Shannon Sharp was that bull. But, he's, but he was never considered – Top tier, but sports reporting, ESPN, undisputed, all that. Oh yeah, we got to get him on there. Lashawn McCoy, you get, you, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, you're yeah. no different from anybody else, other than your real Stephen A. Smith. He's so real, bro. You was bro. You're just as real as him, maybe even realer. I'm just saying, uh, but I'm gonna leave the rest out of there because, bro, there's people like again. I had Sensei, Sacramento Kings ambassador. Uh, I got, and I'm, I'm only dropping these people because I'm about to interview him. My man, Chris, he's a photographer. He did P&B Rock, 50 Cent. He knows Soap, Lil, uh, 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 Lil Boozy, Lanise London. You know what I mean? Like, Rick Ross. She's like, she's a photographer, videographer as well. Like, and I'm only, and I'm not name dropping like I'm the gang. I'm not name dropping like I'm Dickie. I'm just saying these people that's like, no, they're not S tier, but they got some plug, they got some clout, and they're working this shit up. And I'm saying the same thing. And I, again, I'm bringing it all back to myself. I didn't interview nobody that's that got more clout than me, that knows more than me, until I got my podcast numbers up. Once I got the, because if I was really trying to clickbait, I would have been had all y'all niggas from the beginning. I made sure I got my numbers up. I did the analytics. I sit there and seen. What hits and what doesn't. Once I got that up, that's why I hit you up. That's why it took me as long as I did to get you to uh, so for interview. Because I wanted to make sure my shit was up there. I'm not trying, me personally, I'm not trying to use him as a stepping stone. I'm not trying to use him to get me some extra clicks. No, I wanted to make sure my shit was up there. So, Obviously, I, you, you're going to bring me more shit, but I, I didn't want to be my podcast will be the only reason you are the only reason why or other people that I know is the only reason why my shit is up there is because of the people that I know. No, I got my shit up there first. And I'm saying all that to say. You ain't no different from nobody else, bro, other than the fact that you are 100 percent authentic. But we could say that for a record for a DM. We could talk other shit if you want to. But man, I would definitely love to hear what the hell you gotta say on a regular basis. You say <laughs> you, you said you don't know you got the passion, nigga. Yes, you do. Only the only thing you gotta do is talk about the game, talk about this or talk about that. You don't have to name drop. Talk about all of your shit, yo. I don't like the way y'all doing this and that. That's all you gotta do. That's all that's happening. We're talking about Kwame Brown and Joe Button. Yeah. 
Bobby Brennan Joe Button. Noriega. Noriega was hot, but he wasn't S tier. Come on now. He wasn't A lister. Come on now. And now they got the highest, the hottest podcast, bro. Come on. Mm. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I agree. The, oh, one, one last thing, the Breakfast Club. They got popping off the off YouTube. You're talking about budget? You're talking about the right person? They did it off the muscle, bro. Yeah. Come on now. Ain't nobody come on now. We're not we not talking about uh Skip Bayless podcast or uh, uh or, or 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 um Stephen A. Smith podcast. We ain't talking about that. Come on now. Like 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 uh Undisputed is what it is because of Shannon Sharp. And Skip Bayless was him before Shannon Sharp as far as the um as far as the sports debating goes, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Come on, I can go on and on, man. On and on. Man, you better do your shit, bro. Like <laughs> Man, you'll be man. We'll, we'll talk. We'll talk. I mean, I'm not saying you're going to do it, but I, 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 I believe in you, bro. I believe in you, and I'm not just saying that shit because I'm talking to you. I appreciate, it, man. And it's not something that hasn't been said before. You know, I, I'm sure it wasn't. <laughs> you know, it, it's again. You know, life happens, man. Shit happens. Mm-hmm. You know, all, all type of thing. I can tell you some crazy stories that slam. Um, you say that for later date, you know, um, crazy stories being at parties in LA Hills. Oh man. Just ridiculous stuff over the course of my time based on the former agent that I had who would put me yeah. in these spaces, whether it be Vegas, like I said, uh, or different parts in the country, um, where I was speaking to the, the gangsters of it, like the real raw people who um, were behind the scenes, you know, um, that that built up the people who were in front of them who were public. Yeah. You know? um, so, yeah, I, I know all of the people. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's interesting. You know, I, I don't want to be that old dude speaking 30 years now about my experiences and nobody knowing who I am. You know, but it's like, damn, that nigga know what he's talking about. You know? Um, that that is my one fear. So yeah, it, it is something that I have to procure and do for myself and develop uh, to get to that point. I'm just trying to pick my spot and figure out how it's going to be done. And now that my website is offline, all of the hundreds of interviews and thousands of stories that I've written, you know, mm-hmm. give me that 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 opportunity to reframe myself and recreate who I am based on a current um, scheme of things. So, you know, I appreciate your words, your brother. You know what I'm saying? I'm glad that, that you know, we, we're on a, on this, doing this, um, you know, because we've talked back and forth for, for years now. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I'm proud of, 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 of you for, for doing what you're doing. Like, I'm impressed with, you know, how you have, you know, opened this, 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 this interview and the things that you've said, questions that you're asking. Uh-huh. Um. So continue that vibe. Continue to do that networking thing. Appreciate um, you. you no, know, because uh, you know the, the publishers, the the agents, um, the managers, you know, the secretaries talk to all of them. Uh-huh. Um. You know, if you if you have a chance to um, find out about different charity events across the country, and you're able to go to uh-huh. them, that's where you're going to fill your phones up. Okay, you know, um, because the the one thing like I was earlier about walking straight up to KD, 
and getting an interview. That's the whole thing. If you if you see somebody and you don't talk to them, whether it be on the street, whether it be at a game, an event, a concert, or whatever, that's something you're going to lose and not be able to get back. I, <clears throat> I learned that from um, being at the Chris Webber event and um, – Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, somebody I've always wanted to talk to, he was coming up to me on a white carpet. I was actually was standing next to CSN and D-Liner. Um, okay. And she was helping me out a little bit. Like, I became like an adversary of hers later on, um, but she was really helping me out. Like, a lot of these folks, once I started to rise, like, damn, we can't help this brother no more, you know? But when Kareem Abdul was coming up to me, there was a, a, friend, a friend of mine now but um, you know, she 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 pulled me aside and said, "Yo, you know what? I can get some weed." <laughs> yeah. and, and as she's saying this, Kareem walked past me, and, and I was so pissed at her. You know, you ha- in the moment you have to get it, no matter who it is. If they're in front of you, and you were trying to build what you're doing, only thing they can tell you is no. But if you come correct to them, they're going to give you exactly what you want in that moment because you put forth the confidence of wanting to speak to them, not as a fan, but as a peer. That's the thing. A lot of athletes celebrities respect me because I look them eye in the eye. I'm not starstruck. They know that I'm real about mine. Oh, man. They're going to give me what I need to get based on them seeing me as a peer. No matter that they millionaires, sometimes billionaires, mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. A <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But they understand that confidently, confidence-wise and acumen-wise, experience and wisdom, they know that I'm going to bring it. Shit, that, that's why I tell my son about bagging the draw, man. Like the worst thing they can say is no. Rich. Shit. Like you, oh, you, you looking at them? Oh, they so bad. You don't want to talk to me? Yes, they do. Shit, you you person like you, you treat them all the same, bro. No matter how bad she is. <laughs> but I'm I'm I want to. Right, I'm I'm in this podcast on this note. I'm a piggyback off you from the weed situation because you know when I used to rap, you know. um uh, one of my well, I know him personally, but one of my man, she uh, he used to um, I'm gonna say I, I'm just gonna say that uh, he my it's weed. Nobody gives a fuck about weed no more. So he, you know he sold weed to Joe Scott, you know um, and it, and and that's how that's how she started being her weed man. Like everybody sell weed, like, yo yo, where can I get the weed at? Mm-hmm. And he just so happened to be there. Same thing with Mr. Cheeks. Like I saw my uh. Lenise London. I mean, shout out to her. I'm not name dropping, but she she helped me out a lot in 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 my rap career. You know what I mean? She fucked with me, and you know what I mean. I I got introduced to a lot of people. Mr. Cheeks, out of everybody that he asked, he came up to me. You're walking the weed at, bro. So I opened up for him. You get what I'm saying? Like shit like that. So I, I I believe you because I experienced two situations like that. And one more thing about. About not having to be S tier and A tier, but still being that nigga when it comes to podcasting. Killy the kid. Yeah. Come on, bro. Come on. Come on. Or even, or even J Prince Jr. in Houston. Yeah. 
Yes. None of these niggas are S tier, A tier, but they're well respected in their respected lanes. So, just wanted to throw it out there, man. So, I'll hit you up today, uh, uh, tonight or tomorrow and talk some more, man. Just trying to, yes, I, that's I'm going to say convince you. You know what I mean? Because I believe in you. You know what I mean? There's a reason why I waited so I got my numbers up there to actually interview you. But um, other than that, man, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to have a part three and part four for Michael Till- uh, uh, Mizzle. Michael Mizzle Tillery, we still got to talk about Snowfall. I want to talk about your highs, your lows. I want to talk about all that shit. I want to talk about your best experiences. I want to talk about all that shit with you, man. And you either going to be lit or you're going to be lit. I want to talk about all that. But part two, part two, we're going to talk about NFL. Okay. Um, so I want to ask you one last question. This is very simple, if you don't mind. So you said uh, this is back to the NBA. Um, I wanted well first. Well, this was one question actually, but one this one is a comment when you comment when you was talking about um, uh, twenty eight year olds that win championships and superstars. Well, I guess we you, you miss Joker. I guess we could say he's one of the people that's under thirty that's a superstar that won a championship. Um, cause you were saying you was naming everybody, and I just oh shit, we we clearly forgot about Joker right now. But um, just wanted to just say that little nugget too. I want to ask you, cause we was talking about Ben Simmons and all these other young players that's twenty two, three, four, five years old, and how Jalen Hurts he he carries himself cause he he's been here, his pops. Even Russell uh, Wilson, you know what I mean, with the same coach for so many years. Like, there's people that's media trained. Do you think people, do you think the age has anything, their age has anything to do with being media trained? I believe their age has something to do with being media trained because there's so many things that they're focused on. Their finances, this and their deal, this and that, this and that. They're not, there's some people that's not media trained. Will Smith, he's media trained. I feel like Embiid is not media trained. That's why he talks the way he talks. He speaks super honestly about Ben Simmons or Doc Rivers or me, James Harden. We need more help. I feel like he's not media trained. So how do you feel about young players not being media trained? So, um, you know, back when I would interview, I don't think people understand what what Chuck D was to hip hop, right? Mm-hmm. So when I was interviewing him, was I was I, Chuck would call me up like on a Christmas Eve at five o'clock in the morning, and we would have a two hour conversation about stuff, right? So you know, before he would call me up on his way, like when, before I interviewed him and Doc, he gave me an hour. He called me up and gave me this pre conversation when he was driving from Vegas to California, and we basically. <laughs> whole way there about whatever, right? So Chuck and I had this idea of of building this symposium where we went to a a city a year and brought in young athletes, rookie incoming athletes, and talked to them about finances, media training, you know, social media, and, and, and the like. It did not happen. So okay. what I, I have noticed in my time on this earth is 
you look at life through the view of your eyes. Mm-hmm. If you walk into a grocery store, you're going to buy what your eyes see. Sometimes you're not going to look above or you're not going to look below. The most expensive things are usually eye view. Okay? So if you look at life and continue to look at life through your own eyes and don't understand the value of opening up that scope where you can see anything and take off the blinders based on a respect for either older or younger folks, you're not going to understand how to be a media-trained celebrity, athlete, whatever, politician. You're just going to see life through what you see. The laughter that is a disrespect to older or younger generations. You're going to laugh stuff off. You're not going to see it as you should. Okay. So this is the reason why a lot of these athletes are not media trains. They don't respect the older generations. Mm. Younger athletes, younger, I mean, older dudes don't respect the younger generation. I can learn from people. I'm not going to cut off somebody just because they're 30 years younger than me. Because they might have a path that I can admire. So when these dudes come in and they're not media trained based on the lackadaisical people that they put around them, you have to understand that maybe an older dude or whatever should be your agent because he has lived life. He's going to be able to give you the nuances that you would not have felt. So a lot of these young dudes are basically simply worried about social media stats, clout, whatever. Instead right, right, right. Saying to themselves, I can learn to speak to the future. I can learn to make sure that I am in relevant, remaining relevant based on my professionalism and the words that I speak when something happens. A friend, a good friend of mine, you know, ex-girl, the reason why that didn't happen, we were trying to write, we were trying to uh, make this company called Starting Scribe Services, where we were, we were basically preparing junior high and high school kids um, for media by either knowing how to, to, to form a podcast, yeah. knowing how to ask a racial question, Mm. Um and, and the like, knowing how to do an in in locker room interview as opposed to a telephone interview, you know. Um, and it, this is something that I have done over like, again the course of my time, you know, in this game, you know. Um, so it'd be something easy for me to do, but athletes of today have to respect the view outside of their eyes. Right. Right. That, thing instead of looking at the level you have to look at the whole scope like you gotta think about it the universe look at the room that you're in right now the room that you're in right the earth is in the corner of the wall comparative to the entire room 
So if you see yourself as the most important thing in the time you are on this earth, you're going to miss the entire room. Damn. That's a bar. Right? That's a bar. I think that's a perfect way to end this, man. Mm-hmm. Um, well, as per usual, if you love or hate this podcast, follow us at theygottachill.com on all major podcast platforms. And make sure you give us that five star on Apple for that algorithm. That five star. That five star keeps the lights on. Hotel six. We keep the light on. No. The podcast five stars keep the light on for us. You follow us on all social media platforms. And you can follow me at David Stepdad on all social media platforms. And I am working on my OnlyFans called Me and Cheeks. I'm showing it all. I'm what I need it. I'm working on that, goddammit. <laughs> I need to work on the side hustle. Me and cheese, goddammit. I'm showing it all. Um, <laughs> Trying to quit my nine to five. Um, <laughs> uh, Mizzle. Michael Mizzle Teller. Where can they find you, brother? Uh, you can find me on Facebook. Um, the reason why I'm still relevant on space Facebook is because I have over 600 people who are my family members on there. Tillery's all across the country. Um, so I'm Michael Tillery on there, um, on, on IG, I am hardcore peace, P E A C E hardcore peace on, on, um, Twitter. I am Michael Tillery, lowercase Michael Tillery, M I C H A E L T I L E R Y at Michael Tillery. And that's where you can find me. Um, right now, you know, I'm not writing for anyone, but then you can just, Search me on the web and you'll find what I do. And as I said, we will be looking for a part three and part four about your highs, your lows. I want to know the best moments. I want to know about them orgies. I want to know about bitches hitting you up talking about some less. I want to have a dick sucking marathon. I want you to be it. I want to hear about all that shit. <laughs> I, got but for part, I, I bet you do. So for part two, we're keeping it strictly NFL. We might get a little sidetracked, but we're going to keep it NFL, though. And that's the one that I'm looking to do very soon, if that's up to you. Cool, man. Hit me up. I'm here, brother. All right. And uh, typically, I would end this by saying, um, that's a cut, boys. Let's get fucking drunk. But tonight, I'm going to end it saying, Mr. Mizzle, until next time, we'll keep the champagne cold for you, good brother. Right.